in this episode of Full Nerd, Ryzen 7 7800 X3D reviews, too much freedom on the PC, and Optane lives in our PCs. Welcome to episode 252 of the Full Nerd. I'm your host, Gordon Mong, with special guest, Wendell of Level 1 Techs. Hello, thank you for having me. And Adam Patrick Murray is controlling the vertical and horizontal. Yeah, I'm, I'm back over here at the desk. Uh, I, I heard all the feedback. People said, oh, Adam filling in for Gordon. Psh, that was the worst episode in the history of the full nerd. I'm just kidding. No. No, no, everyone was nice about it. Uh, but Gordon, you you were off for, for a little bit because you weren't feeling good. But yeah, you're, I took a you're, vacation. You're back, vacation. You're, you're back with a, a beard? I, yeah. In, in, the, in all the years I've known you... I've, I've never seen this, Gordon. What what happened? Well, I uh, I had a, a wonderful vacation at uh, Hotel Hilton Kaiser, um, and I I did not shave for more than a week. So my son always, ever since he was a kid, always said like, "You should grow out the whatever." I don't know why he thought it'd be funny. So so is this like a, a bet? Did he bet you? And no, and I just <laughs> thought you know, it's something he because I remember him saying when he was a little kid, and I'd grown it out, but I you know after vacation I'd cut it all off, but. I was like, you know what? I'll I'll do it just to see what it's like. And also, I'm realizing it's sort of like evil Spock, kind of like. <laughs> well, actually, that was a good Spock. Wait, was that evil Spock? No, that was evil Spock because he had the goatee, right? Or I mean, yeah. if I can get the goatee going, it's it's interesting. I, it's I, also Captain Cisco too for Star Trek fans. So, uh, no, it's it's fun. But hey, uh, we have Wendell here. You know, uh, I'll I'll give you a little behind the scenes curtain. Uh, you know, I didn't know if Gordon was going to be feeling better at this point, so I, I had to scramble and, and email Wendell and be like, "Hey, I, I need somebody smart on the show just in case I need to host again. Can you uh, can you please join us?" And uh, Wendell was nice enough to join us. So I'm, I'm glad you're here, Wendell. It's always a, a damn good time. Thank you for having me. I, I definitely can infect everybody with my attention deficit for one particular topic. Woo! Yeah, there you go. Well, we, <laughs> As we, evidenced we got, by the pre-show, we we got some uh, some good topics ahead, Gordon. Uh, why don't we Why don't we get to the first one, which is the seventy eight hundred X three D reviews, which you don't have a, an official review up, but you you have done testing. I have uh, done testing, and yeah, but Wendell uh, does have a, a video up, and you know, I th- I think uh, maybe your thoughts align. Like, what's uh. What do, you, I, what do you think? I think so because you know I did all the application testing. I um, and then I got hit. I did do some game testing last night, uh, uh, d- decent enough to get uh, a feel for where the part is on gaming. And I feel like, uh, you know, again, I, I this is the first CPU I've actually missed the review deadline on in in twenty plus years of reviewing stuff. Uh, Wendell points out that I really haven't missed anything because. My scores are basically half of what I got out of the Ryzen 9 7950X 3D or Ryzen 70, Ryzen 9 7950X. So doesn't count. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, and it really you know they're you know looking at my results. There were it was it's basically half the performance of those of those. I mean, no surprise because it is half the chip, right? It there aren't a lot of surprises, I think, and and. Uh, I wasn't surprised by what I got. It's you know, it's 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 the good gaming side of the seventy nine fifty X three D without all the core count, so a little less price. And uh I, I think it's it's good. I, I will say, um looking at some of the reviews from a hospital bed, I was kind of surprised that the reception was as positive as as it was. I think I don't want to use hype because you know, I, I never want to dismiss any reviews. All reviews are valid. 
everybody has, every reviewer has their own take, their own weighting, kind of their audience, kind of what their point of view on hardware is. And that's, that's what you get out of it. But honestly, you know, I think that I also was uh, ran testing in the Core i7 13700K. You know, honestly, it's a the 13 the Core i7 13700K is probably like for my uses where I need a little more core count. It probably the better CPU, honestly, and you know, better Intel ecosystem for Adobe. You know, that kind of embeddedness that you get out of it, and that's probably going to be controversial because everybody thinks. It believes, and rightly so, that the 7800X 3D is an awesome gaming CPU, but... I, I mean, actually, to, to quote somebody in the, the chat, uh, Stay Ready Teddy says, uh, the 7800X 3D is the best gaming chip, end of story. Wendell? It's not untrue, but at the same time... It also depends on how you game. And what game yeah. you run, what resolution you run. Because I, I was surprised, Wendell, you're, in your video, you put it up against the 1300K uh, at, at at faster RAM speeds. Uh, yeah, and- not even, like, literally the whole point of the review was I juiced that LGA 1700 processor to the max. <laughs> $1,000 motherboard, the best cooling that you could do, the fastest RAM that I could. I was even on the ragged edge. Like, Dwarf Fortress? I couldn't get World Generation working in Dwarf Fortress because I was on the ragged edge of an overclock. And that <laughs> that sucked hours of my will to live because <laughs> it was just such a pain in the butt. And even with all that... I still couldn't consistently beat the 7800X3D. So if you want to use the 7800X3E with a cheap motherboard, you know, your soundbite is it's the best gaming CPU hands down. But at the same time, it's like, are you really using a 7800X3D with a $1,500 GPU? Because if you step down to like the three or $400 GPU, a lot of those differences evaporate. Well, and also you, you tested it against a 5800X3D. And I was surprised to look at those charts and be, because Gordon, you didn't do that testing. I was surprised to look at those charts and be like, oh, it's yeah. not that far behind. <laughs> well, and then, see, the, the trick with that is that is the 7900 XTX. And so it's not the 4090 can be a bigger difference. Mm-hmm. But the 7900 XTX, again, I think is the more reasonable buy. And to and to Gordon's point, you know, in, 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 in what he has said and in my past reviews of both Alder Lake and Raptor Lake, I've said, you know, if you're a gamer, it doesn't even make sense to buy the 1300K in the first place. The i7 is probably a better bet. Intel wants you to buy the i5 if you're looking for like the budget option, but the i5, you end up being a little hobbled at the higher end if you spend more on your GPU. But if you're going to get a higher end GPU, the i7 is going to end up translating to a lesser expensive system because you can get a cheaper motherboard. You can get away with a cheaper motherboard because of power delivery and get away with way cheaper cooling. And you probably don't need the absolute fastest memory that you can possibly get. And you're absolutely going to peg the the GPU that you get unless you get the most expensive GPU you can possibly get. Yeah. And that's, that's the one thing that I, I think going into this, you know, we, when we do the, as reviewers, we do all the testing because you do want to know, what is better technically and then it clearly 7800 3d is you know for the the amount of money the fact that it's sort of you know it it again it, it'll it'll stand toe-to-toe with top top end i9 top end ryzen 9 but is it yeah. that demonstrably different than any of the ones a little below that i and to me it's still, it feels like we're getting a little farther away from the conversation because i I still generally think in any build for a gamer, I always recommend you put as much money into the graphics card as you can and you, you cheap out everywhere else. And if 
you know, it's $100 more for the X3D part over a 7700X. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, I honestly, I could see paying the $100 because it feels like it's not a lot. But, you know, if you really are kind of like trying to, if that $100 is going to get you to the next step up GPU, I, I would generally recommend you do the next step up GPU rather than trying to juice the GP, the CPU and then kind of get a, a slower, you know, GPU, you know, if, if you're only gaming, right. If, or, or if you're mainly gaming, right. I mean, that, that's the, that's the whole thing too, right. It's like, you know depending if if you're just gaming i mean yeah the thing i was surprised about was power efficiency which means less heat like all all, all that kind of stuff is like oh okay well that that's pretty damn appealing <laughs> yeah and i i guess the other thing too is like i mean the 7950x 3d it, I, do you feel like people because there was really i thought a lot of undo kind of hate port on that 7950x 3d do you think um now that we have this part both, both, you know, are, are here. Do you, do you think people kind of back off on that? Because cl- there's clearly a reason that the the seventy on fifty X three D exists now. I think that um, there are a surprising number of people that are after the 7950X 3D who don't want to compromise on anything, who are going to buy the most expensive GPU, even though that part doesn't really matter for that. But I know that from the launch of the fifty nine fifty X because a lot of people wanted the 16-core equivalent of the 1500X 3D. It's like, I want to build this. I'm going to run Linux and virtual machines, and and I'm going to juggle a whole bunch of things and background tasks, and I just want it. And that's what I'm running in my personal system right now. Whether I, you know, Sometimes I do game streaming, or I'm just goofing off or testing something or whatever. And I really like having the cache and the clocks, even though for some of the stuff that I do, software development stuff or programming and, and, and things like that, the 7950 X would actually be a better choice than the 7950 X 3D. It edges it out just a little bit in in that type of performance. That said, I would agree that if you if it's the difference between say a 6650 and a 6750, it's a hundred dollars. Go for the 6750 and get the lesser CPU. It's fine. And the the longevity of AM5 also kind of works against AMD in that regard because it's like, well, I could get the 7600X now and then get like the eight or nine thousand series CPU later with the V cache, and that's probably a better situation like you're putting yourself in a better situation overall especially if you're getting not the highest end uh gpu that you can possibly get the one tiny fly in the ointment there maybe and i wish we had a better way of relating gameplay experience to like the one percent lows and the 0.1 percent lows is that i kind of do a mix of automated testing and like real world testing because i do game streaming anyway and it is a noticeably different experience with the 1% lows and the 0.1% lows, even in older titles like Borderlands, which is not really well optimized. It's not an AMD favorite title. Um, it is, it's a different experience having the extra Vcash on the AMD side. On the Intel side, I don't know that I really experienced those problems in the same way in the first place. A little bit maybe, but not to the extent that you can feel it on a lower end processor at higher resolutions. So it's a weird situation with those 1% lows. And I was able to capture that a little bit between the 5800X 3D and the 7800X 3D in, in the reviews. And it, you know, it shows in the 1% lows because it's like, okay, we shadow the Tomb Raider is the same speed, but going in both going into canned benchmark, which is not great for that and actually playing the game, the 1% lows are a better experience on the newer platform, you know, film at 11, that figures, 
than than the older platform. And so it's not just averages. It's also the 1% and the 0.1% lows. And also it's like, mm, there was a hitch there. What just happened? Oh, really? So 5800X3D versus 7800X3D, you saw better 1% lows? Generally, or, yes. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, no, because I, I would have thought the cash would have been enough to... Because the way I sort of see the the 1% lows, it feels like it is just that larger cash is just dealing with a basically unoptimized game that's just, you know, overflowing it, cash, right? So... Yeah, how much of it is is cash? How much of it is game? How much of it is background task? How much of it is, you know, other stuff? But there's also platform differences. I mean, just the fact that it's like, oh, this is a different, you know, SSD setup maybe, and this is a different memory setup, 3600 versus 6000. You know, there's a million, because the platform differences make it really hard to try to isolate all of those little things. So, you know, it's not, it's hard to say if the 1% lows are strictly just because of the cash in the processor or just because it's a newer platform and everything's different. Right. I mean, because there, there isn't, demonstrably 7,000 has got a better IPC over 5,000. So that, yeah. too, I mean, there's everything, who knows? So, and the, and the, so the interesting thing about this though, because, you know, again, I, I, I'm not saying the reception to the 700X 3D was hyped. I'm just saying it was, Everybody was really super. I mean, a lot of places gave it a very, very high scores. It's obviously, you know, good, you know, fantastic gaming CPU. But it, it's just, I kind of wonder if it's, it's this weird thing because as much as I do, again, you know, I'm one of the ones that I thought the 7950X 3D made sense. It, it exists for a reason. You have, you know, you have your best of both worlds thing and it does do that. But it almost feels like the reception to the eight core part with the Vcash is has been so fantastic. I kind of wonder if AMD has kind of discovered that they can really make a lower core count uh, gaming only SKU, whereas typically in the past it's always been we're going to push you to the higher end product with the higher boost clocks, you know, more core count, but you know, more margin so that. You know, the 5950X or or a Core i9, you know, it, it's always the higher end part gets you the highest gaming performance. It's the best market is the best gaming CPU. But AMD almost could like, has this interesting carve out that it's just like, it's lower cost, eight cores. It's like the sweet spot CPU, but it doesn't push all the core counts and all the, not even even the high uh, clocks, you know. So I, I wonder if there's a space for that in, in, in uh, consumer PCs, because it that's a real change from everything. It's just if you want the best, you buy the most expensive thing, and that's a little mixed up now. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, the, that's that kind of hit with the fifty eight hundred X three D as well. Like, yeah, yeah, that was cheaper than, but that was like a one off, you know. But yeah. and now we're kind of like now we're sort of like we've seen two things. Where so with the fifty eight hundred X three D, people are like, oh, I really want the fifty nine. 50x 3d they didn't do it they did it with this one and people got all angry that they even did it and and so now you could almost see like you know for the 8000 series you know what they could actually do this this lower core count carve out because i mean legitimately if you're an 80 90 gamer you don't really need more than eight cores so i mean i just kind of wonder if there's like this weird thing that amd's discovered you know that they they could go forward with I would I would say that if that's if that was their mindset, they probably would have launched with the seventy eight hundred X three D at the same time as everything else. 
And yeah. it's it's clear that there was some kind of a fear or something because obviously the 7800X3D was ready well before the 7950X3D because the 7950X3D needs the needs the the hints to Windows to not play games on the other cores. Whereas with the 7800X3D, you don't need any of that and all the drivers and updates and and everything you just you don't need when you when you set all that up. So. Um, I definitely think that there was a little bit of a push to be like, okay, nobody is going to buy the 7950X3D because it's worse at 7950X things, and it's worse and better at the same time, depending right. on the game, uh, for gaming stuff. And so we have to launch that first for the early adopters, and then everybody else will buy the 7800X3D. Well, but that, that's but, assuming that like that actually tricked anybody. I mean, for the most part, yeah. like a lot of people that I we had seen at least in our circles have been like, oh, well, I'm just going to wait a month. You know, and sure, that sucks that we got to wait for a month, but I'm just going to wait for a month for the 7800X3D. Like, like is AMD, do, you, do you think AMD's like, oh, man, if we release it early, we can trick some people? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know why you would why you would do the delay. It doesn't it doesn't make sense. Maybe if you it's like the early adopters, like if they run into a show stopping problem, then we can we've got a month to get that fixed before the unwashed masses buy the 7800X3D in million unit quantities <laughs> as opposed to, to whatever. But. Yeah, it also could. I mean, you know, again, we don't really know what the actual reasons are. You know, there. I mean, I've I've talked to people there, um, and I, you know, obviously, I've I've been assured this isn't we did, we didn't try to like Jedi mind trick you, but you know, <laughs> it could be it could be everything from logistics to literally, you know, those those other the seventy nine fifty X three was definitely a very nuanced part to launch you know yeah so you know they they're not intel they can't really launch everything at once so maybe they we don't know i mean yeah they, some of it could also been just the cold cynicism of like look if we look at this and 7800 x3 is you know slightly faster than the 7950 x3d we got a problem yeah. it is entirely possible but you know i i just i don't really know right so i i, I think that well it's I think that the part that was messed up or maybe undersold and, and is not hype enough is that you can you could theoretically pair like an A620 motherboard with no overclocking support at all with the 7800X3D and probably have a reasonable, extreme low-cost gaming experience. And uh, But at the highest end, like if you wanted to pair that with a 4090, that would work. Well, but I, so I guess this is, this is a thing that I always get confused about a little bit. What, so what is, who is this CPU for? Cause $450, that's a lot of money just to buy a CPU, especially yeah. if you're just gaming. So is this for somebody who has a lot of money and just wants the best for gaming? Cause it's obviously not like, you know, you can get a 5800X 3D and, and be just as close for the most part. Like, like where, where does this niche fall in then? Oh, well, I I have an idea, but you go ahead. Yeah, oh, my my opinion is, um, I think it's I would say ninety percent gamer, which is really you're all about playing games. You basically don't want to go the distance for Ryzen nine Core i nine, and you 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 know you want longevity of AM five, and you you really the only thing you do is you play games with you know an expensive graphics card. So it's a nice gaming build where you, I mean, eight cores, it's kind of funny, but it's pretty damn slow compared to what you're getting out of Intel 
and especially out, you know, AMD gives you more core count too. But when you look at all that, you are taking a, a massive performance hit in in um, in core count app, heavy applications. So, but but again, if you're a gamer and you're not a streamer gamer and you're not doing all those kind of like different things, where multitasking. You have to, yeah. yeah, you're not multitasking. You're not building content around where you need the core count, and that is legitimately why I think it's so it's being embraced by everybody because I legitimately think that's two thirds of, of, of what the, the DIY pre-built market is, is 90% gamers. Yeah. So. But, um, but this isn't a, a straight up, Oh, if you're a 90% gamer by the CPU, right? Cause well, I mean, it's, it's still $450. Yeah, no, I mean, cause if again, uh, so is this, ev- I, is this even the sweet spot? If I have an AM4 the, and I have like an older Ryzen, you know, yeah, you do 5800 3D. It's just like a no-brainer because it's so cheap. Why not do it, right? It's you're coming from an old horizon. So I think that makes sense. I think if you're doing a new build, um, and, you know, generally I would build 7,000 over 5,000 because I kind of like going forward, not looking back, although there are some price savings going with 5,000. But I think generally for somebody who plays games, cares about the 1% lows, and you have a fast graphics card, and... Or and you may play games at you know high refresh rate. That that's kind of what I'm I'm thinking. I I, I want to hear. Uh, uh, I almost called you Owen for some reason. I don't know why you're there. So obviously my brain is not quite there yet. Yeah, so yeah, where they, I don't even. That's fine. Fun <laughs> fun times. Now I, uh, I my my line of reasoning is 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 pretty in line with yours. I think if you if it were me and I were looking at it. I would probably either wait. I would try to, even if I had, you know, like the i7 2600K or 2700K, I would, it's like, ah, can I, can I wait until the next generation of CPUs and see how that shakes out? Maybe. If I really wanted to save money, like if the $450 price point really was too high, I think it's 5800X3D all the way because you can get a motherboard for like a hundred bucks or less. And everything else in that system is dirt cheap. But it's also a little bit of a a little bit of a of a of a good business decision on AMD's part. Like it, if four hundred fifty dollars is too high for the CPU, taking into account for the whole cost of the rest of the system, the fact that you can use a potato class CPU cooler and less expensive other components mean that yeah, the CPU is four hundred fifty dollars, but literally everything else in the system is going to be cheaper. So it doesn't really like the total price doesn't really change that much. Hmm. Well. Uh... <laughs> And Dr. Ian Kutcher says, oh, you said potato, the magic word. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, okay, so then what what level of GPU would you say, like, hey, you know what? Like, if, if I got a 4090, you know, like, I, I need to step up to 7800X3D to, to unleash the maximum potential of that. But what level of GPU does that hit? Say if you're like, oh, you know what? I, I just have a 3070. Like, are, are you really going to be bottlenecked, you know, like, should you get a 7800X3D? Now, see, the better question is what, for a given GPU, what CPU, what CPU is a good pairing for yeah, that? Yeah, well, that, that, that's, what, that's what I mean. Yeah, like like at what at what point is a 7800X3D like just kind of overkill for the GPU you have? Or, and see, or, again, uh, the best answer to that question may be to wait, but maybe not. Because like the 6750 and also Intel's ARC A770, if you're willing to put up with some some niggles, uh, it's a it's a pretty good card for the level of performance that it has. Yeah, right? yeah it is. But 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 would you pair that with a 7800X3D? It feels like you're you. I mean, it's. I think if you do it because you know that you're gonna 
you're going to toss that old card for something faster. Yeah. But it feels like, and that's why this whole thing, it feels like it's all being, every, I mean, everybody's kind of overthinking a little bit. Because I yeah. originally, Elena was like, oh, you should, you know, like, are you doing 7700X too? I was like, oh, I don't have time. And I got a little angry because it was not at her, but I was just kind of like, to me, the CPU is is just such a small equation in gaming. Yeah, 1% lows. There's some, you know, quality of life stuff that's nice, but like, it just feels like you're overthinking it. Like, it really should be about getting the very, very best graphics card you can. Yeah. And then, like, whatever money you have left, you buy what you have. <laughs> and when you're spending $450 on a CPU, it, it does feel kind of extravagant, but it's worth it. There's definitely a lot of things worth it because, you know, you're, you're getting top-end Intel AMD CPU performance for less money and lower there's other little cost savings that you get but it yeah. just feels like like you should like every day you should wake up and try to score a better graphics card not you know like overthink trying to like i need to get this or what if i do this and you know i i don't think it's i don't think it's that big of a deal you know so there's not even a lot of um a lot of real breakdown when it comes to individual game performance there are outliers of course the only 3D shooter, the only real 3D shooter that has still has kind of a lot of player base is like Escape from Tarkov. And Escape from Tarkov, it just is so wildly unoptimized on the 5800X 3D and the 7800X 3D. It's just insane. But it was such a crashy, buggy mess. And the, the, there's so many cheaters on it that it was, I didn't, it ended, I ended up cutting it from the review because a lot of factors other than the game made the performance and everything else really inconsistent because oh. depending on the cheat and the other things, you might get a lower tick rate or something. And so it's like, well, this run wasn't the same as this one. Maybe we could do a replay for this. And it's like, okay, the replay is even higher performance than I was experiencing in the game. And it's like, okay, what's the real world, you know, performance difference. Some of that, you know, I did, I did the Factorio benchmarks and, you know, Factorio only runs at 60 updates per second. And Factorio is a really interesting one because if you actually have a giant map that is struggling to maintain that 60 updates per second on a, on a 12th or 13th gen Intel or, you know, 5,000 or 7,000 series AMD CPU, it behaves way differently than the uncapped updates per second, you know, small map kind of a thing. And it's not, you know, 300, uh, the Intel CPU is not uh dramatically slower than the 7800x 3d i mean like with the small map like the benchmark maps um you know you're, you're looking at a 320 percent performance improvement over the 3900ks running as juiced as you can make it but when you're running a real like an actual real map that is so huge and complicated that the system is struggling with it the 7800x 3d is only like 35 40 percent faster than the 13900KS. Still faster. It's wow. just not dramatically, insanely way faster. And so, again, it goes back to the real world testing versus benchmark testing. And it's like, what do I need to buy hardware specifically for my game? And the answer is almost universally no until you get into the really insanely niche edge use cases. And even then, mostly those aren't first person shooter games. They're strategy games, or the only the only real one that I that I know of is Escape from Tarkov that really benefits from an insane amount of cash to produce a huge disparity. And that's different with this launch. Like when the fifty eight hundred X three D launched, that was not the case. The fifty eight hundred X three D was far and away, and there was nothing you could do on Team Blue to make up the gap. And hmm. now it's like, well, there's some trade offs. 
And but, I mean, even then, when you argue that's, would you really want to design an entire build around one game? I mean, it's it's it yeah, seems some people might. I mean, yeah, if, if it, that's that's your jam, because I mean, definitely. I mean, hey, flight sim. I mean, there's people who people, build the whole rigs around right. one game, but it's yeah, but it's rare. It's not the it's general rare. use. Yeah. It's not it's not the general <laughs> use. And I I do wonder too because, I mean, because this this is really a problem of the game is not it's obviously a mess right so you get this kind of like outlier games that are unoptimized or kind of messy how much in the hardware is compensating for that isn't it better just simply to like can't can't the can't the can't the compilers and can't the the development tools for for games can't that just simply doesn't it does it get better over time right i mean yeah it has been. It has. Remember, you know, it's not been that long ago that we, you know four cores on the desktop was mainstream, and then, you know, the the Ryzen seventeen hundred launched, and you know the rest is history, kind of. But because of that, things are changing. We see that right now with GPUs. The whole eight gigs of VRAM thing. Finally, a critical mass of people have more than four gigs of VRAM, and so the games they are a changing, and uh, it is exactly that. It is exactly that. Oh, finally, we have a ton of cores, and we might have a reasonable amount of L3 cache, or reasonable is not necessarily 96 meg. It might be 20 meg or 32 meg. Whereas, you know, just a couple of generations ago, it's like, ah, oh, we've got 6.75 megabytes of L, you know, L2, L3 cache on our processor. Now it's like, ah, oh, you know, 20 meg, 32 meg, 28 meg, 96 megs. <laughs> and so the compilers and everything else can say, Okay, if you've got one of those six meg CPUs, I'm so sorry, you're going to have a bad time. But everybody else is going to have an amazing time. Uh, well, we're starting to get into the next topic, but but before we we get over to that, uh, we do have one question from front of the show. New Tech said, uh, "Is Intel's high ring clock slash uh, along with the high core frequencies the reason they can keep up with such decent frame rates?" I think so, but I also think that. Intel's ability to run faster memory is helping it here, but Intel doesn't bend for that. And it is having about a dozen 13th gen CPUs now, just a couple of KS CPUs, mostly Ks. It's just random. Like, it's like this some of those CPUs struggle to do over 6,000, and like one or two of them can do more than 7,000. And so it's just, a, it's a crapshoot. But running the memory and the ring and everything else as fast as you can definitely makes a big difference when we're talking about running a 4090 at 720p. Yeah, and that, that's worth pointing out because I, I think a lot of people sort of assume every every Intel part's going to run at very, very high clocks. And mm. your experience is the opposite of that. Oh, yeah, so. And RAM speeds, too. Yeah, yeah. For the, I mean, for the RAM. I mean, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's still that, that, that lottery, you know, for your memory controller. Maybe you got one that not that great. Board's good, memory's good. Maybe you just got lousy one, right? Yeah. Uh, another question I have uh, for for this one. So we've seen the seventy nine fifty X three D. We've also seen the seventy nine hundred X three D. Do you think, Wendell, that means that there's going to be a seventy six hundred X three D with just you know half half those six cores? Uh, I mean, it, AMD could do it at a at, if there's a lot of pressure on them to have a an, an inexpensive cpu i guess maybe maybe they collect enough 7900 x3ds that want, there's something wrong with the other ccd but i kind of doubt it because that, that that's still the only cpu in the x3d lineup that i'm head scratching like uh, I'm, I, I'm not quite sure who would go for that over a 7800 x3d or a 7950 x3d like it, where, would, where, where do you they, see that one fall 
they would be better off just adjusting the prices and not making a bunch more SKUs because mm. the 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 line making that CPU could have been making something else probably. Mm. Yeah, and then honestly, I mean, because when they just take all those, you know, because if it 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 goes counter to like you know, you know, Vcash is not a cheap feature, and you're trying to push it into a lower price, less margin. If it feels like, I mean, it, clearly the God, he had Jan, he had Cindy, Marsha. Who's in the middle? It was a Jan was in the middle. <laughs> no, that w- w- in the middle yeah, of the, the Jan, panels. Jan. Oh no, no, no. The, oh, the, the one kids. in the middle, the oh. middle kid. Because you got the you had Marsha, 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 and then you had. I'm it showing was, my seventies here. Yeah, they brought in and cousin Cindy, Oliver. <laughs> well, <laughs> let like, me just say the the seventy nine hundred X three D is clearly the Jan Brady here, right? It's like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you ain't got sixteen cores, and you don't have the seven eight hundred. It's clearly the seventy nine hundred is the most unloved of the three, and it's also the place you you can dump those salvage dies, right? It's yeah. Like why why would I make a seventy six hundred X three D when I can sell upsell the the Jan Brady of the line? Because that that's the way to go. Because <laughs> you're still going to sell it at a higher price, so you can make up make up for that you know the the pricing differential. Yeah. So huh. yeah. Uh, uh, real quick, we do have a, a super chat from a friend of the show, Eek44, saying, uh, uh, gave us a 169 Danish crone. Thank you so much. Said, uh, I still want, or I still want my KS as it works so fine. Uh, Wendell, I love to see you. So you <laughs> got another uh, Wendell fan out there. Um, but I, yeah, I, it's it's a curious, weird spot <laughs> for the, the X3D. Also, something that you touched on in your review video was that the 5800X3D was an interesting spot because it was like the end of the AM4 generation. It was a nice like cap off, like, hey, you know what? To end this whole platform generation, we're going to do this interesting you know, piece. And it just, it felt like a cool story. But the impact of the of the Ryzen 7000X3D is just not in that same kind of, you know, fancy spot. So it kind of hinders it. Like, yes, it's better than the 5800X3D, but it, it's, it's going to be weakened by, hey, you know what? There was already an X3D part. So, but yeah, like, like, yeah. How how did you come to that conclusion? <laughs> it, well, because it's like three hundred dollars. It's less at yeah. like Micro Center. I mean, they've they've had it for for less with motherboard or memory bundles or or uh, anything else. I mean, if you have an AM4 system that has pretty much anything in it, unless it's like a fifty nine fifty X or whatever, you could get a fifty eight hundred X three D or fifty nine fifty X for that AM4 board, and you're good you're good for at least a year, probably two or three. And that's really incredible for that platform. Yeah. It was that love letter. I think I described it as a love letter AM4, right? So, but you yeah. know, that's, I still think that kind of plays into this. A lot of the pushback with the 5800 X3D was like, wow, this is awesome. But this is a lot of money for an eight core CPU. Remember at the launch price? Yeah. People are like, wow, this is really it, people didn't really go gaga nuts until they it got that that price haircut. Well, also on on the other side, we had a lot of people being like, "What the hell? I don't want eight cores. I want sixteen cores. Why why not sixteen core, fifty nine fifty X three D? That that's why I think the seventy nine fifty X three D was AMD coming in and being like, "Hey, you know what? We got sixteen core. Boom, mic drop. Or you, you, you were, get the boast, you know, the best." And then people were like, "Wait, no, I don't want that one." I was surprised how many people in our audience said that they wanted a sixteen core. And then from our Amazon affiliate sales, I was again surprised at how many people were buying the 16 core 
you know, out the gate. It's like, wow, that's actually, I think the sales uh, for, you know, our links in the forum and stuff were higher for the 7950X 3D than even the 7950X. And I'm not sure if that's, Hmm. I'm not sure it it was just, I don't know, but it's like, no, I want the good gaming thing, but also I'm going to do a whole bunch of other stuff in the background because they're just, you know, we do, we do, we do weird stuff. It kind of makes sense. It is a cool chip. Well, I mean, Uh, it it is weird because I, I, the 7800X 3D is as amazing as it is for gaming. You know, and again, so I'm in that weird perspective because I haven't done heavy game testing on the 7800X 3D, but the i7 and all the application stuff really beats it up badly. Yeah. And it's really, and I came into this like not seeing the gaming performance, you know, and again, I couldn't test anything. It's like, <laughs> like, man, i7 is just like. It well, the i7 really that's good that's the 12900k basically i mean it's not it's not a lot it's it's actually a little bit faster than the 12900k internally when we're talking about the e-cores and some other stuff right and it really is just like and it's just like wow it is really good you are just getting stellar all-core performance you're getting very very good lightly threaded performance you're getting awesome gaming performance maybe not as good but you know again if you're playing high res it doesn't matter that's why it kind of like it colored my review or my take on the, the first day on 7800X 3D because the gaming stuff kind of like didn't push me over the edge like it did. So, but so you're thinking that the, the tier, the tier list would be like 7950X, 7550X 3D. You, you make that decision based on what your needs are, but it would probably make more sense if you're doing a new build to pick up that 13700K ahead of the, uh, 7800X 3D because you can get away with modest, more modest cooling on the 13700X and a more, a less expensive platform, even though you could have a motherboard that'll let the, the, the thing that I like about the 13700K is you can run it with the unlocked PL2 if you have a board that'll do it. And the CPU is probably going to be stable enough to do that. And so it'll just run at 200 watts all day long, which right. isn't awesome because you see those really high boosts. Yeah, and uh, and then and then the seventy eight hundred X three D, and I don't know that I would disagree with that. I think that that makes a lot of uh, sense for a mixed use case. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, yeah for again not eighty percent like because you, you if you use Adobe products, you know the world is unfortunately for AMD still very Intel focused. So I think depending just, on the codec, there's a lot. And you know that mixed use is just it's a lot. I think a lot stronger in a lot of ways, and I would probably take the gaming hidden performance over it. So. But again, you know, if you're looking for kind of that sweet spot, all out gaming performance that can stand with 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 the big chips, then 7800X 3D is awesome. So, but it just it just kills me. Like it's it's I mean I, I mean like it's so ungrateful, right? But it's like eight cores in 2023 feels <laughs> we've, a little we've light. Gotten, right? We've gotten spoiled by cores. I mean, it, wasn't That's, it just was it 2017 where it was. You know, it's like eight cores. What is this madness? And now all of a sudden it's like eight cores. That's we're, we're five years later. It should be 32 cores in AM5. Come on. Well, I, mean, may, lap, I got laptops that outperformed the 7800X. <laughs> well, maybe we should move over to uh, the next topic, which is uh, the freedom of choice. Freedom, too much freedom. We have yes. too much freedom. Too much freedom. Where well, I was complaining about this. So one of the problems we have with the PC, we have identified it earlier today, is we have too much freedom. And I will give you the exact problem. If you go to the store, go to go to the go to your your supermarket, and just try to buy a box of damn cereal. Like it's a lot of cereal. You're like, 
It's like it's like eight rows high, and it's like thirty yards of cereal, different flavors, different size boxes. Like you don't even know. You just like I don't even know. I mean, I, and then like you might have four cereals that are the same thing. I eat the high fiber stuff when it was cheaper. There's like too many choices, and I feel like we've kind of gotten there. I'm obviously kidding because I like choice. I like the freedom, but. It is insane. There's just like the deck of cards you get with the PC now because going back to KB Lake, you know, Sky Lake is like quad core, quad core, quad core. Like, oh, 7% increase, you know, maybe if you're lucky, you know. And then now we get insane. You get everything from like really, really low core count up to insane core count to chips that you, you know, you basically have to run with a car radiator to, you know, super... I think the choice is awesome, but um, I also can understand for the regular person buying a computer today, it's 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 overwhelming. It's well, like it's like buying cereal at the supermarket. But it does get confusing. <laughs> also, at the same time, you alluded to this earlier. Typically, you would think in your mind, the more money you spend, the better you're going to get, right? Mm, but the yeah, seventy-eight, yeah. But now it's not even that's not even the case anymore. You know, some people are like, oh, actually, the seventy-eight hundred X3D. Can can be just as good as a chip that's you know two hundred dollars <laughs> more expensive you know so like it's it that's a weird spot too. Yeah, no, I, I agree because it um it isn't it is very you don't if you spend the most money you end up not always getting the best thing out of it right but th- there is an argument that you would but I would say the average person who you know is is the uninformed buyer. They buy, they're going to buy a Core i9, they're going to buy a Ryzen 9. They're, those are the people who buy K parts because, you know, they know, they see K and it's better. They're never going to overclock. They're and not going to do number. it. It's a higher number. And that's, and that's how a lot of people buy things, right? That's when you go, again, you know, for, for us, because we look at it every day, we understand it. But for the re- regular person, like if you, I went out and I bought a washer because I needed a new washer. Went into Best Buy. I don't know what to buy. It's a stupid washer. Right? I ended up with the one with a steam cleaning mode. <laughs> well, I don't know what it does, but it's like it's just got a steam cleaning mode. It must be good, right? I mean, it's like I ended that's up how it goes because I mean that's actually what most people do is they just simply buy the high end part. Like I, I think it's but now it's weird because like the Ryzen Seven X three D part is arguably for the regular gamer a better CPU, but it's not the most expensive part out there. So it's, it, it is very confusing. I, I just don't know what to say of it now. Cause it really is. It's like the cereals. There's too many damn cereals. <laughs> yeah. in in many ways, the, the debut price point of 7,800 X3D kind of is a price cut over the 5,800 X3D launch because we're in, you know, 20% plus devaluation of currency since then. So it's kind of like, wow, this is actually cheaper. So yeah, that's know. true. That that, is, that, that box is of cereal is like twice as expensive as it was. <laughs> oh yeah, then the cereal that I used to eat was four dollars a box. It's consistently six dollars and up now. So yeah, too yeah, too much just... money. Do you, but, but I mean, this also gets to like, what is? How do you like recommend core count? Because I mean, definitely, I don't know if the boost clocks matter as much. Like I would say, the boost clocks are less important to me because you're just not really. Six gigahertz is nice out of a KS, but you know, even if it's four to five hundred megahertz over a lesser part, it's not a huge increase in clocks. 
it's it's um what you're the the trend that you're pointing to i think is something that is kind of disrupting secondary and lesser markets in the the lower end and the mid tier like the systems built around it not just the processors are coming up to sort of swallow the middle and what i mean by that is like look at look at like you know the intel nux and the the off-brand intel nux and the folks in china taking mobile processors like the 11th gen the erying stuff i think those are sold out now but i have a, i have a video coming on that where it's like we're going to take a, a 35 watt mobile processor slap it on a desktop motherboard send 100 watts through it and Intel's engineering process is good enough that that's fine. And then all of a sudden you've got some insane level of performance, 11th gen performance for a total of 160 bucks between the CPU and the processor. And so this value at the high end, what you're talking about with 7800X3D has already devoured the entire market for stuff at the lower end where you would, you know, the, the cutoff for Windows 11 is 8th gen, like an 8000 series Intel uh, CPU. But if you just buy a $300, $350 i3 NUC, that i3 NUC is going to have insanely way better performance than that 6-core i7-8700 and take a fraction of the power and be less maintenance and headache and physically is a 4-inch hockey puck <laughs> uh, and is is just a better overall computing experience if you don't need graphics and if you don't need, you know, as most people don't like the igpu is fine then you look at what amd is doing on their side and it's like well their igpu is actually really good you can actually do okay-ish 1080p gaming especially with their ddr5 mobile platforms repackaged in a desktop like what minis forum is doing and so that's exciting for the future because you can get something that's actually kind of powerful that's not even this traditional desktop route and so that's probably going to drive down sales of the only people left buying like true desktops or enthusiasts are people that are looking to do to be able to do piecemeal upgrades so that they don't have to replace everything else. But gen on gen on gen on gen, these last few generations, when we're talking about 20% gains per generation, it's worth upgrading uh, more often, especially if the overall cost is lower. Yeah, and it does feel like the, the low end on on desktop is very dead, right? I3 is... Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're good for most people. They're fine, but it feels like I don't think that there's really much of a customer base for it anymore. Because yeah, they're yeah. they're going to buy, and then also, I mean, I guess that's why we're sort of seeing the service is not is not really there. And you know, we're not really discussing GPUs that much, but I I do think with price creep, it it does feel like you know APUs or APU style is kind of is going to end up eating the, the entry level right. The entry level game is going to is going to get eaten in that kind of like that classic, you know, 1650, 1050 and lower. Those are, those are gone. I guess there's probably just no money in it for, for discrete anymore. Yeah. And look at the I five at the middle of the market. It's like 14 threads. I think it's 14 threads, six, is it four yeah. or six P cores? Six, and then six, eight, six, eight, right. I can't yeah. remember. It's just, and that's this is that's a four hundred dollar out the door you know bare bones machine. What world is this? Right, and uh, that is for the average consumer. That is so yeah. overkill. That is just so overkill. It's nice too, but I mean, it's just the funny thing is then you have then you like you know that is a that is a got I I'd have to look at the numbers, but it probably outperforms seventy. No, it might be close. Does it outperform seventy eight hundred X three D? 
No, I the single, the single, because of the power envelope, the single core speed in Geekbench is usually around sixteen, seventeen hundred. So, and we're oh. still like over two thousand with you know like modern desktop processors, but you're still you're over five gigahertz again in a four by four package that doesn't make any noise, which it, you know that's completely like. In the past, it would be, oh, I could still buy an, like, people today right now would still be buying 11th gen parts in Micro Center and other places because it would be a reasonable deal and they would be looking to get rid of their old inventory. And you would have things like the, their $300 5800X 3D, but the, you know, Intel 11th gen version of that. But now it's like, well, if you're going to, you know, why? No, you should just, you should just get something more modern. Yeah. No. Well, newer is better. <clears throat> Real quick to go, to to go back to the the core count stuff. I mean, for the longest time, we were just like, "Oh man, we only have four cores. We need more. We need more cores." <laughs> and now there's a lot of people being like, "We have too many cores." There's people who <laughs> literally buy like a thirteen nine hundred K, a thirteen seven hundred K, and disable E cores. They're they're they've yeah. got the cores. They just disable them and say, "You know what? I'm fine with eight cores." <laughs> <laughs> E cores still have a use, so it's a little extreme, but yeah, I get I, it. I mean, there, there are people who do it. Uh, also, a, a, a good point from uh, Brandon uh, in the chat says, uh, uh, and I'm going to form it as a question: Should they have two different lines of CPUs similar to a GeForce and a Quadro? One line for gaming, one line for productivity. Would that help? Kind of. That's probably better for their margins, but it's probably not better for us as enthusiasts. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that would be good because that would that means. You have to find a way to segment it by, you know, ECC or something that you cut off or some other feature. I guess, you well, know, VPro would be nice, you know, like that enterprise level security would be nice if you could enable it, but. And actually leverage it on, on a on a personal basis. It's like, right. oh, I've, I'm sure that this is going to work without having that. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, isn't that unfortunate? Because, I mean, uh, you know, a, a lot of that corporate security stuff is very nice, but the features you only get if you have all the extra bells and whistles that you checked off, I kind of wish they would bring that down to consumers because consumers deserve that level of security too, you know, but obviously, but they needed a managed product because you don't have an IT department managing it. So you need to, obviously the operating system would probably have to manage it for you. So, but it, it would be nice. Yeah. Well, it, it really would, it wouldn't be terribly complicated to, enable that like microsoft could do that they could give you some of that functionality in azure because the new intel nux can even do the bios updates from windows update so you can do you could trivially do you know fleet management for own devices in azure and microsoft could charge you 20 dollars a month for that because all the plumbing for that's already there for the enterprise but there's nobody that has the has the the foresight to carry out that plan and make it happen. But consumers, that's one of the few things I probably actually would pay $100, $200 a year for is that kind of management and security. Yeah, and I guess you could build it into even the, you know, third-party AV suites could sort of take on some of that management too. But I, you know, I think the problem is the weakness is the person in, fr in front of the computer, right? So yeah. you, 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 they can't force you to be security conscious. So, but it would be nice if, if you could give up, you know, more control to, because, you know, clearly somebody who does it full time makes a lot of money handling security is going to be better than the average person doing it. So it's uh it's actually not with, with all the plumbing that's in windows 10 and windows 11, that forced Microsoft account nonsense is insane. But if you, the, the least evil version of that really just has to do with, uh, backups and version control. And like the easiest way to deal with all of that is, 
an undo button. And the easiest undo button is you've got real-time update backups thing in the operating system, which you kind of could have with OneDrive and everything else. It's just that there's not a top-down vision to really make that happen. But that's how it does work in the enterprise. Like if you have a Surface laptop and your company set up the with the Microsoft Autopilot, you can literally go into a a uh, Microsoft store bias it. Well, you can't now because you're closed, but you can, you can any windows 10 or windows 11 device. When you get to the, the enroll thing, if your account is a corporate account, not a Microsoft account, it can enroll the device and provision it and get the corporate profile and deploy everything right there, even without a custom image on it out of the box, which is how it should be for individuals as well. Right. I mean, it, it is very nice. Um, and though the problem of course is, you know, people don't trust Microsoft, which I think is misplaced, you know, because mm. you have people who won't install updates or they don't, they don't trust it. Like, and I classically turn off OneDrive because I don't, I don't like how it manages the, the backups for me. And then, yeah. you know, and it also, it always screws everything up because it starts restoring the wrong thing. Like, even though it's a, so for me, it, it doesn't, it's not quite there yet, but I, I, I do, a- I do see it as a plus. I have the same experience. I, the the you must sign in on Windows setup drives me insane, and not for the usual reasons, but because the one time that I trusted Microsoft, I opted into an insider preview, and Microsoft thought that meant I wanted the insider preview on literally every machine I was signed into. Ooh. Yikes! Yeah. Oh boy, I needed <laughs> to download the win the uh, a version of Windows from Insider Preview, so I signed up my home desktop. And I yep. could not get it out of that program. Like it took me like <laughs> it took me like a hundred t- different ways of trying to get out because I did not want to update that machine, and it kept trying to. It definitely there is, and and again this this is a Microsoft problem is that's why people don't trust them because they right. they they haven't bought full into it because it it takes money to do it. Like, but you know, but honestly, for the fee, if you were to let if you had to manage security in the cloud for Microsoft Azure and everything, I could see there being value in that, but they definitely have to overcome the, the, the mistrust they've built up over the decades of, of, you know, frankly, Windows history, right? Because it's, it, yeah. it, it's just real. It's just true, right? So that's that's a problem. Uh, well, we're, we're way off topic. So You're right. <laughs> to, we are. To get back on topic. Uh, cores. Uh, when, uh, we need more of them. How many cores is right for you? <laughs> well, actually, so I, I put a poll. Uh, I, I can read this, and, and uh, I got a, one more question for Wendell, and we can move on. Um, I, I put out, uh, what's the minimum core count that you need? Uh, and a little little over 200 votes right now, and that's 62%, it's 8+. plus. So and then twelve uh, percent is four plus, ten percent is sixteen plus, and seventeen percent is all the cores. So most people are fine with eight cores. Do you, do you think Wendell that the cur- current core count we have right now, like is it going to keep going up or is it is do you think it's going to go down because they're like ah you know what most people are fine at eight cores. We'll give I think some, that, we'll give the option I, for sixteen for some people, but eight cores is just fine. I think power users probably would enjoy 16 cores. Eight cores is is probably not terrible. I think actually we're going to see some changes just because of security and and other things in operating system design. I think eventually we're going to get to a point where the operating system reserves two cores just for itself. It's already this way in servers. When we're talking about 64, 96 core servers, when I'm doing stuff with like Red Hat's OpenShift, the best setup is to reserve two threads or four threads on the system 
and nothing other than system stuff is ever scheduled for those. Hmm. And I got to say, even with Linux, it is a dramatically better experience. My load average can be well over a thousand and it's still a reasonable experience on the system for everything else. And, uh, you know, there's some, there's some resources that are reserved at the CPU level. And from a security standpoint, it makes sense. It's like the, the stuff that's happening in user land stays on these cores and the stuff that's happening in the kernel, antivirus, monitoring, whatever, stays at this level. Probably even things like Denuvo would be better, a better experience. Is like if we have to have them and Denuvo lives in kernel and it lives in the kernel land, constantly switching between mm-hmm. a user context process like a game and a system level process like whatever Denuvo is doing is very bad mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, actual realized real world performance. Um, very famously, uh, NVIDIA, their driver would use Core Zero for all handling all their interrupts. And um, they didn't, I don't think, I still don't think they enable message signal interrupts in games because it doesn't really make a lot of difference with their architecture unless you have a Quadro. And then the Quadro GPU is like, yeah, you can use message signal interrupts and the, the interrupt that the core that is associated with the core will be routed to the appropriate core so you don't have the extra overhead of moving something from core zero to wherever. But um, uh, little things like that will dramatically improve overall performance and the access to more cash and more resources and stuff like that will will improve um performance overall i think so well, more cores more better kind of well yeah so so but but that's what if if you're saying you think in the future windows is going to start reserving cores so that you think eight cores is then going to be not enough eight cores is is okay right now if you have you know it's like two and six that's probably still okay for for most applications for everything except games and and really high level stuff. But right now, you know, in the beginning, like the Adobe suite was not good for more than four cores in the four core days. So when eight cores rolled out, it was like, well, it's not even going to use those anyway. <laughs> but if people have it, then the software and the compilers and everything else will be updated to do it. So we kind of need to be on the leading edge of that a little bit. And eight cores is kind of that right now today. But the only reason eight cores is good today is because there was eight cores in the era of four cores. So we need really 16 cores. Yeah. Interesting. I'm, I'm for it too. I, uh, 16 is, I think, uh, I would want 16. And I do think that eight, that's why eight feels a little, a little light if you're kind of looking forward. So yeah. it's fine. It's realistically completely fine, but it, it does feel like as we move forward, it's, it's going to matter more and more. I mean, I'm even seeing like the neural filters and the Adobe stuff is like, you know, 16 cores, it'll use it. So do you, do you think, you know, I I I, I want to point this out because as we get to the core count, because you know there's a vendor that's been really pushing core count. That's Intel. You know, they got 24 cores. I hear a lot of people really dismiss the high core count on the high end parts. They'll they'll say it's like, oh, you know, it's just to be better in Cinebench. Like the E cores only improve Cinebench performance. Like like they literally made this just simply to win in a benchmark. You know, and I think that really is unfair because, you know, first, we all beat up on Intel when they were just stuck in quad core land. So now that they're basically carpet bombing us with CPU cores, giving us more performance, it's actually a good thing. And I, I think it, that's why it's unf- it's really unfair to people like just kind of dismissively say, oh, whatever, that's just for stupid Cinebench. Whereas, you know, when the original Ryzen came out, people lost lost their minds over the Cinebench performance because it was eight cores and, you know, in the four core lands, right? So I think it's, I, I just want to point out, I think it's unfair. So I, I think it is a good thing. And, you know, and, and 
you know, there's some rumors that AMD is going to be looking at, you know, doing mixed mixed die or mixed core parts too. So it does feel like core counts core counts are going to continue to climb. I can see AMD getting above 16 too, right? So yeah, especially in the in the desktop. I yeah. think um I I think I like the e cores for what they are. I think from from eight from four to eight is good. And from eight to sixteen is you're getting kind of into diminishing returns territory for just the e cores. The e cores will parallelize really well for something like Cinebench, but if you actually try to load them with a bunch of different kinds of things in the background, yeah. things get kind of weird. Like you don't you don't seem to get as much out of them. E cores are perfect for the operating system, though. If you have just nonsense running in the background while you're gaming, and Windows is smart enough to keep the nonsense on the E cores, and the game can have you know all eight P cores running at at full tilt insanity, that's great. That is fabulous. That is a, that is the best possible situation. Uh, I don't know that we're there yet in terms of the software side for reality, but the fact that you know we're on second generation having this, the software will catch up and it and it will be improved and maybe it paves the way for for us to have things like 16 and 16 i've got some of the uh sapphire rapids stuff where we're still waiting on cpus and that's all p cores it's like you want 16 p cores in a socket 24 p cores in a socket that's great but they omitted all of the e cores on all of the parts that i've seen for the sapphire rapids workstation stuff and it's like well but can I have the e cores? Why do we not have the e cores? Is it because AVX five twelve isn't working yet? I don't. Wait, I don't wait, know. So what you're telling me is that they heard Ian keep saying, "Oh, I just want an all e core uh, <laughs> future," and they were like, "Ooh, we should do the opposite. We should just yeah. do all p cores, just to, just to piss Ian off." <laughs> yeah, I think I think there are Xeons coming that are lots and lots and lots of e cores, but it's just it's like all the all the X, it's just all p cores, and so it's like, but you know. You know it's, it's got four DDR5 channels, and it's oh like I'm still God. waiting on a CPU. Why? Look at that monster. Look at that oh, monster. I... I thought you already had it already. So the thing that kind of gets me, though, is like I swear to God, this conversation. So like uh, Intel PR, Dan Snyder, worked with them for a long time, re- recently retired of all this. Hey, Dan, grow some, grow some tomatoes. <laughs> like Dan and I would go back and forth pencil? all day. <laughs> Like, like, but it would always be this, this thing is like, you know, cause when you're in reviews and the people that do, do reviews, cause you know, they, they, they really do respect. I mean, I'm sure they talk a lot of smack about hardware reviewers, of course, cause you ever read it's cause we talk smack about them. That's just the way it is. But oh, no, really, not another question about IOMMU. No, no, they yeah, really no, respect, yeah, they respect reviewers. They really, cause he, cause we're basically super consumers. They want to know what we think. They they really they like it when we have when we're happy, you know, and when they when they hit the mark. But it's always that thing like with our feedback, they take that to heart. So it's like every time, it's like you know what Intel, why these these IGPs they suck. Why you you IG, I've made I've like made a living making fun of Intel integrated graphics. Like I have a hundred jokes that I've made about. Intel integrated graphics. These things suck. I mean, this is a joke. Why are you even doing this? We're just, you plug in your discrete card. It's completely worthless. You can't run Jack with it. Blah, 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 blah. Oh my God. You're just wasting our time over and over and over again. And like, you know, they, then they, you know, they, I remember like at some point I was talking to Intel. I, I just had to tell, I'm talking to Dan. It's like, <clears throat> we're talking about like Golf Town because we're on the Westmere Golf Town days. 
Yeah. It's like, man, this golf town is awesome. You know, six, eight core, really like H E D T. It's really awesome. But you know what, Dan, I, you know, the work you've done with a uh, quick sync in Adobe, ah, that meaning coder, I, I wish these chips, <laughs> IGP, right. You could just seem like, you every year you make fun of our crappy IGP and now you're asking for us to put an integrated graphics into our HED part so you can get the media. But it's like, you know, like I'm sure they're like, they're like, uh, you know, into why are you wasting our time with these e cores? You, everybody, stop! What you just, you should just, we just need an all performance core version of Alder Lake. We need an all performance core, and then you know, oh yeah, Wendell, he knows what he's talking about. Uh man, I sure wish I could get Sapphire Rapids with some e cores. <laughs> no, you said the opposite. That's like AMD is like the same thing, right? Because it's like. Man, if you had a 5950X 3D, I would buy that all day. I wish you would do it. Okay, folks, we did it. We did it. It was tough. It's expensive. 7950X 3D, why did you do this? You're wasting our time. Yeah. Like, But, it is, but you said you wanted this. Everybody said you wanted this. Like, Could you imagine it, it, if you're like at AMD, Intel, or NVIDIA? Like, like I bet NVIDIA is like, okay, here we go. 16 gigs of GDDR7X. It's good. Costs a lot more money. Oh my God. Why didn't you do like maybe eight gigs or 10 gigs? This is too much. You, you know, it's funny though, because um, the IGPU on the E3 Xeons, there was, there were some customers that had deep enough pockets that they asked no. Intel. They asked Intel, how are we going to get something like the media encoder and the IGPU stuff available on our, on our, on our dual socket Xeons? Intel's answer for that was PCIe cards with E3 Xeons on them. And the, the, all the, all the compute resources weren't there, but you could get to the IGPUs of those E3 Xeons through the PCIe bus to do the encoding and stuff. You can find those on eBay and it's crazy because it's exactly what you're saying. And they're like, well, we'll just put the E3 Xeons in with the E7s. I mean, what could, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> but I, I just, I just know because every of these companies, cause they, the roadmaps take years. You're like, the incredible amount of genius they put into this and you're, you're doing a space shot. You're trying to land on Jupiter and you're taking 10 years to do it. You launch the space capsule, it gets there. And I just kind of, it's just amazing because I know the conflicting messages that they get all the time because like, they're just so confused, right? Cause I, like, I bet when they do like 80, when they do the 8800X3D part and they do, don't do an 8950X3D, people are like, why didn't you do the 8950X3D part? But, but you said you didn't. <laughs> I just want something with all the cores that doesn't cost a lot of money. So I, the, in, in, that, in that box of like, why did you make this again? Uh, there's also, there's apparently like a six or an eight core uh, CPU for that crazy W790 socket. And it's like, is, I, I mean, I guess people are going to buy that because you can get literally a, like a $300 processor for that socket that'll give you two terabytes of memory and a crap load of PCIe IO, but that's a slower huh. CPU than like a 10th gen Intel. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I love this off book stuff though. Cause I, the fact that you mentioned this off book stuff, most people don't know, like Intel AMD too. I'm sure they have these off book parts that they sell to people that they, we never see, right? Like they have parts that I, I would love to see some of the things that I, I don't know about. Like, wow, you really like, could you imagine what it takes to like actually get that done? You got to be like Apple level 
Like, you know what? You know, maybe we'll stick around. We're not going to move and we'll do our own stuff. It's like, okay, we'll do it. We'll do this special thing for you. Uh, right? Probably. I think that number has gone from like $100 million to like just $1 million in the last five years yeah, or so. Yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> they, they almost could do the consumer custom order parts, right? That'd be kind of yeah. cool, but... <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, we we We've got you, we got y'all uh, gone off the rails. No, no, well, I mean, we, you know we, what we they should do. Up, you know what? Let me tell you, Wendell. Huh. Let me let me tell you. If they only made a a, a solid state storage device that gave me really high QDF performance for small file size, that's yes. what I want. That if would you, be perfect. If they made that product, if they spent hundreds of millions of dollars to productize that, make that a consumer product. That's going to be a big hit. Every oh, they did. Or they sorta. Well, it looks like Wendell got all of them. <laughs> he's, he's holding up fist, literally fistfuls of Optane. You drives. really have gone on the spree. I mean, I've you know we I have a few Optane drives. We just got a couple. I did some Gen Five testing, and so obviously we have transitioned to the other thing that everybody was a product was. And the thing that kills me, the thing that kills me, because you know Optane. Because I know somebody sitting in this cubicle at, um, at oh, what's the name of it now? Solidime? Solidime. They're sitting in this cubicle in Solidime. It's like, what the hell? Why am I sitting here now? <laughs> but the thing that kills me is like, now that Optane, the entire Optane adventure, this like, this huge journey that they had to give up on. Now that it's gone, everybody is saying how awesome it is. Because it is awesome. How come it just didn't work out? Why didn't it work? Why didn't it not work out, Wendell? It it's uh it's really just down to price, I think, and how much it costs to make it versus how much you can sell it for. Plus also the the cost of flash memory or the price of flash memory falling out the bottom. So the thing that makes Optane awesome is that it's very low latency. It's about halfway. So like if you think of like a mechanical hard drive, if you I think most of the chat has probably experienced a mechanical hard drive. And so think about the difference. Like if you had a computer and you upgraded from a mechanical hard drive to an SSD, just mind-blowing performance. I had no idea the computer could be this much faster going from a mechanical hard drive to an SSD. I remember those days very well. And going from a normal NAND SSD to Optane, Optane uh, from is Optane is about um halfway between system memory speed, like DRAM speed in terms of latency, and an SSD. So it's that much faster than an SSD in terms of latency. First-gen Optane is not that much faster than NAND speed when it comes to stream performance, meaning like loading a level, loading in blocks, things like you would do with direct access that's coming. It's not here yet. But for random things like booting an operating system or launching a program for the first time, it's it's really insanely responsive, and that's that's why your system will feel snappier. Um, initially, Intel sort of marketed little tiny pieces of Optane to go with mechanical spinning rust, and I think that really kind of ruined the name for Optane. It's like, oh, with 32 gigabytes will be really good. And if you'd only, if you'd never experienced an SSD, you would say, wow, Optane has made my system a completely different experience. This is awesome. But the problem is that SSDs weren't terribly expensive. They weren't really big, but they weren't terribly expensive. And so people would just be like, ah, I'll just buy 128 or 256 gig SSD. And then everything is always really fast, 
no matter what. And yeah, it's a little slower than Optane when it's working correctly, but Optane in the little tiny slice with a mechanical hard drive is hobbled. And so it's not running as optimally as it could in terms of speed relative to the SSD. Relative to the hard drive, it's night and day, but relative to a NAND SSD, not so good. Well, and also and so, there, there were different kinds of Optane too that, that didn't help. <laughs> oh, yeah, and the memory Optane, uh, yeah. you know, Oracle, I think, is a big fan of that because you can run a persistent database in memory and that's really good for transaction. You can get linear scaling out of your database server when you don't have to worry about memory losing things. Um, but yeah, Optane, Optane didn't, there's a lot of really new, awesome computer science that went into Optane, but like we're only just now catching up. Uh, there's a, there's a uh, new stuff in the Linux kernel. IOU ring is the technology you want to look at. And the guy behind that, it's fundamentally new computer science about how we service IO requests at a very low level. It's not quite like the assembly programming language level, but because of the speed of IO in general, and because network has gotten so fast and PCIe five is so fast and CXL is coming there is an incredible pressure that has never been there and that the timing is perfect and Optane coming of course first and now at the tail end it has died and the new computer science and things like IOU ring could have possibly saved Optane. Could yeah. it, could it, I mean, I mean, cause it just, the, it was just the cost, the cost, it just was never going to be for a consumer solution. It was just never going to be cost competitive with, with NAND. Yeah. Yeah, I guess Micron, only, only, I would really love to know if that's really true or not. Somebody in Micron could tell us, because it has to do with scaling. Like NAND is an absurdly complicated process, but because Samsung and others have figured out how to scale the process, the cost has come down. Maybe that would have been possible with Optane, but it, it hadn't. It's just so sad to me because it really is, um, it, it, the, the promise was amazing. It was like that next level of like awesomeness kind of leap forward and it just it just died and it it's just kind of sad but you know the cool thing is you know like obviously wendell's been buying all these optane drives but it's oh we have somebody in the chat uh denever a friend of the show denever one g1 gives two dollar super chat thank you so much said uh they bought eight of those uh 960 gigabyte 905 piece on sale Ex yeah excellent <laughs> <laughs> But it just, it just, I mean, I, I, again, that's kind of the thing that kind of kills you. Like, could you imagine like they, you know, they made this technology, it was a hard journey. It ended up failing and the only, and it's only popular now in death, which is kind of yeah. like, it feels more wrong than anything, you know, <laughs> it's like when a, you know, an artist dies and, and then they get popular. The, the 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 first gen products are really not like super amazing, honestly. I mean, you could use it as a boot drive, like the 900 gig ones. I've got a bunch of these smaller 375 gig ones because I'm going to use them on a storage server that has mostly hard drives. But I'm going to use this um, for caching and this for the file allocation tables, basically, because this these make that type of operation insanely fast. So I can, I think I'm going to be able to saturate hundred gigabit ethernet. That's what I'm, I'm trying to do um, with, with mechanical hard drives, which is hard to do mechanical hard drives, saturating hundred gigabit ethernet, not easy because each one of those is only about hundred megabytes per second and hundred gig ethernet is 10 gigabytes per second. So you need like shelves and shelves of mechanical hard drives in order to do that. <laughs> do you, do you, um, I mean, cause of course, the 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 persistent memory, persistent DIMMs, kind of like that was like that sort of. I mean, it did actually. It wasn't a product in data center, 
I mean, I, I, I really kind of hope that was going to get into eventually, you know, HEDT level. Do you think that's likely dead as a dream? I mean, the whole idea of like one terabyte of persistent memory was really sexy to me, but. Yeah, so that that's dead, I think, for a different reason. As we've done the the computer science homework, some things have emerged. I read a really interesting paper about PostgreSQL, and it was, do we need to... Data, PostgreSQL is a really popular open source programming language. A lot of people spend a lot of money on it. Or Amazon has spent a lot of money to be able to offer a version, kind of sort of long story short. PostgreSQL is amazing and very well-tested, battle-hardened, and um, uh, there's a there's a standard in database um, sanity uh, construction called ACID compliance. Like if the database crashes, is it guaranteed to crash in a mathematically provable uh, way that is recoverable? And so if you if you have a database that is said to be ACID compliant, you're reasonably certain that no matter what kind of a crash occurs, no matter what point the crash occurs, you can get up to the moment of the crash: CPU crash, memory crash, disk crash network connectivity crash, whatever. And once you've got 32 or, or, or 48 cores, the it's diminishing returns. Um, uh, Omdahl's law kind of a problem. But if you add persistent memory that goes away because the acid compliance becomes a lot easier because the data in memory, even if parts of memory fail, you can be sure that when this is written to here and here or here and over here or this dim and that dim, that it will be acid compliant because you're able to to reconstruct what happened when the system comes back up. The the interesting thing is that the amount of persistent memory you need is not all of the memory, not everything that the database system is using. If you have a relatively small amount of persistent memory, it's able to do that. And so for a time, there were motherboard designs that would give you one dim slot that was uh, Optane capable, and then the other ones would be regular memory because Optane was so fast, PCIe was too slow to use the interface, which is again, um, and the reality was that it was really hard to switch between the timings necessary for Optane, which were way different than DIMMs and DIMMs. And so the short-term solution was, let's just make all the DIMMs Optane, which was actually not great um, because Optane is slower than than the DIMMs that are available. And then meanwhile, the march of technology with DIMMs, DIMMs got faster, DDR5 is happening, blah, blah, blah. But also, there was somebody coming in, a Trojan horse in the back, while they were fighting all of the cavalrymen on the front. And that was CXL, Compute Express Link. And so CXL gives you a way to have a really insanely fast PCIe 5 interface to a memory storage device that is also low latency, like Optane, and persistent, potentially, even with battery backup or whatever, and that's all you really need for ACID compliance, even for absurdly huge database systems. So if you just put a couple of terabytes of DRAM on that, then all of a sudden you're kind of cost competitive with Optane. And it's like, no, that there goes our market. Ah. So. Yeah, there, that's in a nutshell. But ahead of its time, again, it's just like every it feels like everywhere from consumer to data center, it just cost just killed it. Just too too bleeding edge, too bleeding edge yeah. to make it pay for itself, I guess. But there is kind of a gap. I mean, NAND technology is relatively slow, and with every like when we go to TLC to QLC to five level cells to six level cells, if that's in our future, every level of a cell that we have is another bit that an analog to digital converter has to get out of an individual flash cell. And A to D converters were already slow. 
and needing that much resolution out of an analog cell is not going to get any faster. So it is very hard to make SSDs a reasonable performance, which is why the performance tanks when SSDs are full and there's all sorts of these crazy algorithms like the 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 amount of computation that exists on like you know a Samsung 980 Pro the 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 silicon in here is non-trivial. The software this thing is running is absurdly complicated to try to make it into a reasonable level of performance. And in order for the cost to go down and the density to increase, we have to pack in more bits per cell. And we're just not going to be able to do that. It's always these are these are always internally going to be some kind of a weird hybrid device. And all of those things add latency. That's the irony of these these Optane devices is like if you get a bunch of small ones and you raid them together, you defeat the purpose of what makes Optane amazing in that the overhead of raiding them together introduces too much latency. <laughs> It's more latency than the device itself has, and the whole reason you bought it is because it's low latency. It's not it's not the throughput, it's the latency. And so you have to use these devices natively. You can't really use them in a normal traditional RAID array because you lose too much to the RAID system in latency. Even if you're using hardware RAID, that adds latency. Hmm. Huh. <laughs> uh, well, I, I have some questions for you, uh, Wendell. This is, you know, I, I need your advice, or, or I need your uh, I need your your guess your testing guesswork because you, you've obviously done more testing than I have. So on my my video production box, right? I have uh, what is it? Uh, three Gen four drives and a spinning platter for backups, whatever. So I've I've got one drive is my main OS, one drive for for things like uh, uh, cache files for for video editing, uh, and then one drive for the actual video projects and files and things like that. If I switch that main boot drive to an Intel 905P, do you think I'm I'm going to feel it? Do you think that's the the best of both worlds, Optane on the boot drive, but large video files on a, a Gen 4 drive or maybe a Gen 5 drive, if I can get one? No, probably you probably wouldn't feel it unless you the thing that the the place where Optane would benefit you is wherever your temp files are stored, your scratch files or indexes for scrubbing. That sort of thing. If you stored that on a 905 and it was large enough, oh. that would probably be the best place to store that. Oh, okay. Well, actually, I mean, yeah, the, it would be large enough because, uh, yeah, I, I don't keep I don't keep cache files around for a, a long time. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad I asked you then. Uh, okay. So, yeah. I mean, off of everyone's excitement, I I, I bought a 905. I also bought a couple <laughs> of those. Uh, those are what what a P1600Xs. The um the oh, hundred and eighteen yeah. gig. What 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 can I do with those? I don't even know what to do with those. It's... The the best use of those, honestly, is if you set up a home server, uh-huh. you can make those the metadata special device if you're gonna use ZFS. And so it'll store the file allocation table. ZFS is equivalent to that. It's what they call metadata. Mm-hmm. Your data will still be stored on spinning rust, but your where the files are, how big they are, where all the blocks are, will be stored on Optane, and that is insanely good for that use case. So, like, if you have an old computer you want to turn into a home server, you could put two or three or four, you know, 10, 20, 30, whatever terabyte hard drives in there, and um, a couple, and then you mirror those because you got two of them, and 118 gigs should be, it depends on your use case and what kind of files you are, because if you've got a bunch of tiny files, it's going to use more metadata space than big video files, for example. But, like, for my home media server, I've got um, the, for the one, for the, like the, the, the actual just media, you know, two, 280 gig Optane is overkill for 40 terabytes of usable capacity. Mm-hmm. And because it's just big media files, but it is insanely fast. It's like, ah, oh, I, I want to watch happy days that I haven't watched in five years. Click, boom, <laughs> it's, it's loading. 
Well, even I, though it's spinning rust. Whereas yeah. if it's just spinning rust, it's like, oh, there it goes. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, do you, I mean, they're, they're still currently on sale. I'm look, look, looking at, at Newegg, you know, prices are still pretty damn cheap. How, how long do you think until they, they run out of this, this current inventory at these sale prices? <laughs> the guy I was talking to said, we have so much. Uh, so much. Uh, they they seem to intimate that they have entire wafers that they're probably going to throw away because they're not they're they're getting ready to expire and they're not uh they're not even packaged. So you've got all, you've got so much time to like finalize them and package them before they they expire. And that that window is it's, oh. it's like is it even worth packaging these or are we just going to jettison them and throw them away? Oh. But like my person my personal system has a P fifty eight hundred X in it, which is the Gen four version of that. And it took a very long time to find a Gen 4 compatible adapter that I could go from M.2 to uh, to U.2. And it's a, it's, a, it's a Gen Z adapter that has dip switches for programming the PCIe redrivers. And um, that uses that P5800X reliably, and I would not trade it for anything. And that's my boot drive and my scratch files drive and all of my stuff on on it for like little programming projects and then i have another flash drive that has everything else on it and i would not trade that for anything well the p5800x is still very expensive <laughs> yes oh yes. boy wow i had no idea they even had a gen 4 version so huh <laughs> yeah the yeah the, the p5800x is where it's at but good lord in, intel is uh it's expensive. Yeah, that that price has not dropped. Uh, doesn't look. I guess maybe it's, it's actually it, it's gone up. So when I I bought <laughs> mine, I I think the one point, I think I I got my, it's I think the one point six terabyte was like a thousand dollars or twelve hundred dollars on launch. Wow. It's, and and I think I got that from CDW, and now I think it's like. Sixteen hundred or two thousand dollars, something crazy like well, that. Well, I mean, right now, at least uh, in the U.S. on on Newegg, I'm looking at the the eight hundred gigabyte version uh, is two two thousand thirty one dollars. Yeah, that is more than double the launch price. Wow, those things in hot demand then. Yeah. Jeez. All right. <laughs> well, it's it's PCIe four speed, so it's seven point five gigabytes per second read and something absurd for the writes, and still the insanely low latency. But also, like Intel really didn't put a lot of work into optimization in the firmware and like these first gen drives it's just sort of naked access to the optane so like they could have done some things around like write coalescing and they could have done some things around queue handling and you know all sorts of optimization and like the, those people the smart people are at solidime now so solidime is probably going to do some really insane stuff that's just it's like oh spread their wings and fly this is going to be amazing but <laughs> it's sort of it's sort of unsettling that the micron you know, abandoned ship because they're like, well, we don't really see a path here to, to minimize the cost or, or move this way. But there's definitely room in the market to do that because NAND is just too crappy. Hmm. Well, I, I I did a poll asking if people bought Optane like I did on sale just because of the hype. Uh, and But uh, a lot of people uh, in the chat are like, oh, I can't get Optane. It's, I'm in the EU. Uh, how, how does somebody get Optane over in the EU? They're adding it to Amazon, and they just added it today. So you might be able to get it on Amazon Europe in like a week. Oh, wow. Well, okay. huh. I thought maybe there's some kind of ITAR limits. You can't export it from the U.S. or something, but... Well, hot, hot maybe. news. Breaking news from Wendell. You get your... Save up your Optane pennies. It's coming to the EU, I guess. <laughs> it's it's going to... Like, it feels like Optane is going to turn into like CRT in a way. Yeah. Like, really awesome. Oh, that's, that's a good... And, yeah, that's a good analogy. You know, there's... It'll have some strengths, but you know, actually, can you imagine uh, just I don't know 
I always think of like driving by and just seeing on the side of the road like a bunch of CRTs, right? You know, like uh, that. that's what happened the past, you know, five, ten years. <laughs> you just drive I, by on the side of the road and you see a bunch of Optane drives. I've also noticed there's there is a weird anomaly with them that if you have an Optane that's been unplugged for a long time, when you first plug it in, it seems to go through some sort of process where the performance is not anywhere near where it should be. And then if you just leave it alone for a couple of days, then it goes back to normal. Huh. So I wonder I wonder if like whatever internal mechanism they have for storage is such that, you know, it degrades or fades over time or something. And they're like, oh, we should recharge those. Maybe it's an inherently capacitive storage thing. I don't know. But it, it seems like it has some kind of garbage collection thing that runs after it's been unplugged for a long time and the performance is subpar until after it completes that process you just leave it on hmm. and it just it just does it in the background you know I, I my last bit of optane contribution here is i you know i i've been all in on optane this laptop here is optane of course it came with it but i had them spec out my desktop machine here four years ago with an optane memory so it had hard drive plus uh like a an optane module and it was unbearable. It was actually a horrible experience. It did not make, I mean, it was definitely better than a hard drive, but it was not enough to like, oh, it was really over time. It was clear. It was just because I think it was like a 30, 32 gig module. It just wasn't oh, enough. Yeah. yeah. I ended up putting in a larger 64 gig one, but even that didn't really help. Um, and yep. then at home, I actually run a smaller, like the smaller version of the 960p, like a, I've run that the 500 gig version for about two years now, two or three years. In maybe it's just because I'm on a Skylake machine, but it doesn't feel impressive to me for some reason. So I, I'm a believer in it, but sometimes it just doesn't like for what I do every day. And I mean, again, you're looking at KB Lake; it's just not very fast. I kind of wonder if it's actually the CPU that's just too slow for it. So. Well, we got it's, somebody else in the chat saying they use it as a uh, Adobe Scratch drive. So, thank you. I, I'm, I'm definitely going to do that with mine then. Yeah, I've that's probably wanting... the good. Good. Oh, I, on Lightroom, I've been wanting to do a test to see if it helps on Lightroom as a temp file. Mm. But I need a faster yeah. machine. It's not. It's not going to win in the sprint, but for lots of teeny files or lots of small access, is is where it can shine. Yeah. Um. Even it's not even necessarily like the older, the older drive or older performance. Like if you if you put it against, there is a lot of unholy wizardry in what Samsung has done with their 980 and, and now the 990 that give it that confer a lot of latency advantages. Like somebody inside Samsung is aware of this and they're working on um, things like that to try to minimize NAND latency. And I think that's also something that'll come through in like the PCIe 5 benchmarks. When we get to that, I can't wait to take PCIe 5 against P5800X just because it's like, wow, this has got the throughput and the latency and the, the whatever and the, and the so on and so forth. But um, if you have room, like the driver, like just the NVMe driver, there's a lot of overhead and weirdness in there um, that could be optimized away that'll improve things. And I think that... that modern versions of Windows 10 and Windows 11 are much better about using memory as a cache. So the more memory you have when you're in, in a situation where you're not memory constrained, you will definitely feel that Optane is not contributing to the performance nearly as much because a lot of those read IOs end up coming from RAM as opposed to from Optane. Hmm. Um, 
but it's the it's a million when you're RAM constrained and the thing that you're running has to wait on the computer to complete a write because it has to guarantee that it's actually written something. That is still the best use case for first gen Optane. Less so for second gen Optane because it's fast, but for first gen Optane, it's like, yes, I've completed that four kilobyte writer. Yes, I've updated your one megabyte presentation file. Now you can move on with your life because this the computer stalls a lot of the time waiting for that write to complete before it can do the next thing. Yeah, that would explain it. I have 128 gigs of RAM, so I'm not waiting for... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if, and, and you haven't rebooted your computer in three weeks, then it's already still in RAM. <laughs> uh, Well, r- r- rest in peace, Optane. It's, uh continues yeah. to live on, at least for a little bit, I guess. Get it while it's hot. They're still out there. <laughs> another yeah. another fun use case for it is with Primo Cache. So you can combine Optane with Primo Cache because Intel's kind of... It, the driver situation actually is really... I had... um. This weekend, I had to use uh, ISDCT, the Intel's command line utility on Windows Server, of all things, to try to... I was reconfiguring an array, and I had to I had to update the block size from 512 bytes to 4K to solve a performance anomaly. And you can't do that anymore. Like, you need the Intel NVMe driver in order to have the extensions to do the lower-level stuff with the drives, and you can't get that from Intel's website anymore, and Solidime's link for that is just goes nowhere. And so that's because of the whole changeover switchover thing. You can still boot from Linux and use in Linux utility NVMe CLI to get there, but Linux's or Intel's NVMe driver was head and shoulders better than Microsoft's, and Solidime's NVMe driver, in some respects, is head and shoulders better than Microsoft's. Although Microsoft is learning from them and rolling some of that into the Windows updates, but all of that has come from people indirectly or directly because of Optane, people looking at this kind of stuff saying, well, no, look, our, it's not NAND. It's not a NAND IO anomaly because no matter what you're doing with the, the device, it's going to give you a consistent latency. What's going on in software? And then people look at it and it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is, this is a fun thing. IOU ring is not like that, but I, it provides a really amazing test platform for IOU ring in that regard. Um, and so it's fun because there's a lot of stuff happening around I.O. in general. And I.O. has been one of the sources of, let's call it awful computer experience. And so moving forward, I'm really excited about the I.O. situation improving because we CPUs are so good now. Everything else is crappy in comparison. Yeah, GPUs and CPUs are so awesome. It's everything getting there, right? So between them. Yeah. Nice. Uh, well, let's uh, let's switch over to Q and A uh, before we have to uh, before we have to get out of here. Uh, if you got a question uh, at PC World in the chat right now, uh, if you're listening or watching this later, go over to our Discord. There's a link in the description, and uh, you can get a question over in our, our channel. It says Full Nerd Questions. Uh, hopefully, read it to you on the show. Uh, we got some super chats. I want to get to uh, lots of good questions here. Um, the first one is five dollars from Vpast. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, said, do you consider a CPU and motherboard as married when you purchase? Uh, meaning, even if upgrade's an option, but most people still upgrade, you know, every every two two to three years with a with a GPU. So, like, how much do you care about the idea of AM4, AM5 being able to upgrade in place? Or you're like, hey, you know what? I only upgrade so many years, and at that point, I kind of need a, a new motherboard uh, anyway. So, what what are your considerations on that? They're pretty married. Uh, Historically, yeah. Uh, That's been less true with AM4. There've been a couple of, like, there've been a couple of systems where I upgraded from, like, a 3700X to a 5900X, and it's like, ooh, 
this is a pretty big difference. This is nice. Um, but generally, yeah, it would be new motherboard, new processor. You, it was even tough to do that with like the X370 from X370 to X470. There were so many improvements that it was like, nah, let's just go ahead and get the X470. Um, but from X470 to X570, that was a little less true. And certainly it's been the case with like X570 because, you know, X570, I think, launched with the 3000 series and then you get the 5000 series. So there literally wasn't an option, really. And so there were later Gen X570 motherboards, so that, that's an option. But for like LGA 1700, yeah, it's like, I'm going to, I bought Alder Lake, I'm going to upgrade to Raptor Lake. Nobody does that. Right. I'm, I'm, and I'm just too lazy. I just use like the, like in practical purposes, I just use it till it dies and just the whole thing gets basically, uh, put in the recycle bin, right? It's because it's not generally worth doing an upgrade for me because I'm too lazy to do it anyway. So, Well, and I, I really feel like it's a, a couple camps. I mean, there's definitely people that we've seen in, in the chat here. I, I think somebody even mentioned earlier, like, hey, I'm on a 4,700K. Or, I mean, we know people who are still on a 2,500K. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it's just like, hey, you know what? I'm on an old system. I, like, even if I would have went with something like an AM4 that had the longevity, right. I'm holding on to this for so long that, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, if you built on a, you know, 1700X and you held on to till so far, it's like, eh, it's not even worth it. I'm just going to do the next thing, right? Because maybe it, your motherboard is holding you back at that point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because, you know, everything else is ancient. USB, the rest of it's just junk, so... Okay. Very true. Yep. Uh, we got a, a question from Wendell's biggest fan, aka VC Jester, gives five dollars. Thank you so much. Said uh, since the government is helping build Intel uh, fans, <laughs> should we get should we get uh, faster chips for less money, just like the internet and ISPs? Right. Fabs. Yeah, it's Fabs. government money yeah. for lesser. I mean, that's how it should work, but that's not going to be how it actually works. Yeah, because we also get a great deal on um, Nimitz class aircraft carriers too. We don't really get to drive those around. <laughs> kind of like show up. Hey, I'm a taxpayer. Let me take the wheel here. Uh, no, sir. <laughs> that would be cool though. If, like, if, well, I mean, I'm sure the competition would be angry, but I guess you could make other things. They can maybe they just kind of give you a little tax refund or something. You get like, you know, because I guess you get like six cents off. Like, oh, you get six cents off on. Uh, your next device with us. I never understood why we couldn't structure the deal such that it's like, okay, what do you need the money for? And it's like, okay, we're going to build this fab. We're going to do all this stuff. And it's like, all right, this is how we're going to do this. We're going to give you the money. It's like, you get this much for the construction company to do the thing. You get this much back on your payroll tax and you get this much backs on your transportation tax and you get this much back on the whatever. And it gets to the hundred billion dollars or whatever it is that we're going to give you. But if you sit there and don't do anything, you don't get any money. Yeah, I don't think that's how government contracting works. So. <laughs> no, sadly, it doesn't work that way. Um, all right, uh, another question uh, from MD Hofstey uh, asked, uh, can you ask Wendell, what is the best CPU for Kerbal Space Program? Oh, uh, that's one I don't, I have not personally played Kerbal Space Program because I fear that I would be sucked into it and uh, you know, I would I would not emerge because that's what happened with Stellaris. Like, it's like I'll play Stellaris because we got some questions about benchmarking and, and then it was like, oh, this is a 4X strategy game. Oh, it's three weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't do any actual testing. Uh, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's a lot of fun, but it's... Uh... <laughs> and the new version's out. My, my uh, kids played the original version quite a bit, so it didn't seem like you needed a lot to push it. It's a pretty basic game, I think. But I don't know. Maybe the new one really pushes it hard. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I guess uh, somebody in the chat saying uh, more cores helps with the physics. Uh, mm. Yeah, don't know. 
uh sorry about that um doc doxy docs de la Maca, uh, something like that gave us five dollars super chat thanks so much said speaking of linux did gordon go with pop os yet i have the, i have the iso downloaded ever since oh. in fact i actually got the machine that i'm, I'm going to use for it i installed the ssd so i'm getting there i'm getting i'm getting a step closer because of uh wendell harris convinced me to, to give it a shot It'll be fun, probably. It will be. And, you know, and again, it took explaining to me that it's, you know, the, the, the Linux community, which no offense, I have not understood, but I understand <laughs> it is uh, in a Star Trek kind of manner. It makes a lot of sense. You know, you basically in the Federation, you just simply you explore to explore. We're going to help you rebuild your world because we're the Federation. Because really, because that seems like. A hell of a lot of work to rewrite this kernel for my driver, but if you're going to do it for free, maybe I need to. You know what I really need to be is the Ferengi in the in exist in the Federation world because you get the best of both worlds. You get to live off the profit, but you get to live in the like all the hard work the Federation's doing, all the Linux people putting all that work in. So like, but still benefits me. But I'm a Ferengi and just kind of like I think that maybe that's the way to go. There you go. It is a lot of fun. I just installed Pop OS on one of the the 13th gen Intel NUC, and it worked perfectly. Like I didn't have to do anything. And Thunderbolt, this is blew my mind. Thunderbolt was plug and play. Usually that's a pain. Really? Yeah. Huh. I'm still trying to get well USB four on AMD stuff. It's still. Uh, yeah, it's not not quite there yet. <laughs> I I actually bought a. Uh, it's not even a review laptop. I bought a System seventy six AMD laptop. Wow! Just for no, just for for hard mode. Not because I I kind of need a laptop, but this is quickly turned into not going to be something that I can use for a daily driver. I literally bought this just to try to get Thunderbolt working on it because I have this thing where I have to put Thunderbolt in all the places it doesn't belong. And uh, <laughs> this is it's it. We're almost there. The redriver. There's a redriver on the motherboard that's maybe not quite. PCIe tunneling certified, but otherwise the rest of the platform actually does support PCIe tunneling. It's not something System76 supports at all, but I'm going to do it. It's just, <laughs> it might take me a couple of motherboards and a few tries and a lot of soldering. And you can you can really see I've really messed up the motherboard by soldering and desoldering things to it, but I'm going to get it working. Wait, so you're literally <laughs> taking that laptop, which is AMD based, and it's USB 4, I'm guessing, without, but it doesn't, doesn't have the tunneling it it has the tunneling capabilities in hardware, but it's not enabled from System76, and the software stack is not quite there. So um, it's a, a little bit of work to complete it, I think, and I think it's just some trivial changes that are going to be needed in settings and a couple other things. And the Linux kernel support is almost there. Like, in the Linux kernel, it actually still uses the Thunderbolt driver under the hood. It just can't call it Thunderbolt, but it's the Thunderbolt specification as implemented by AMD with their root port and a bunch of other things. And so it's it's a little bit journey of discovery for me because I don't have really any idea what I'm doing. But I did this before with second gen Threadripper and that was a lot of fun. And so I'm doing it again now. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say my my USB four experience with AMD is has been disappointing and I, I actually need to get on them because I did a USB four preview and they still have that laptop still has not seen USB 4 with the tunneling enabled. And I'm not sure what's going on. It's kind of like one of the things that's caught in between vendor and AMD. There's finger pointing. 
unfortunately, the people who are like, "Hey, where's my USB forward tunneling?" They're kind of they're kind of screwed, and and it's been very disappointing because it feels like it should be much more mature. And of course, with the the newer um, uh, AMD parts here, it's supposedly better now. But I I feel like there needs to be better better AMD needs to be a better stored here, or somebody needs to because you know clearly. Intel built Thunderbolt, so it works a lot more flawlessly. And yeah. if you want Thunderbolt, definitely Thunderbolt four. It's a safer bet with Intel. So, and it's it's yeah. just been a little disappointing, I think. So, that's definitely you know the best experience for AMD on Thunderbolt right now is the Minis Forum HX ninety nine G, and it is a, it's not a laptop. It's a, it's you know one of their small form factor machines, but it's got two USB four ports, and it is almost pretty much plug and play. Hmm. And the interesting thing about it I noticed was when I installed the AMD drivers, it actually seemed to provide some like binary low level firmware type components to update the platform because it's basically a laptop platform and then after that everything seemed like it was it was working correctly. It also seemed you know how Ryzen Master can reach into the BIOS and tweak things? I don't know if this is true, but it seems like the Thunderbolt, I'm sorry, PCIe 4 installer stuff from AMD can reach in and make some of the same tweaks. And that might be why there's some finger pointing because the, the System76 thing, it's kind of locked down and I had, sort of had to take Herculean measures to unlock some things that had been locked down. And I don't think System76 locked it down. I think their their hardware partner locked it down. And without that unlock, the driver can't reach in and twiddle the bits because the memory region, I don't I don't have a clear picture of this. So if anybody wants to like slip me the documents on the down low, <laughs> But, but the memory IO region for, um, the, uh, you know, like the, uh, uh, the smart access memory mm-hmm. stuff like that, making that region. And then you need some IO space for the Thunderbolt area. And then your other devices may also have some memory mapped IO. And so you have to take some steps to get all that lined up. And then there's also, there's also this bus numbering, this idea of bus numbering. And so like when you plug something in, there has to be a gap in the b- bus numbers so that the devices you plug into what is essentially a PCIe bus have room in the numbering system to get a number so that they can, they can be accessed. And if the EFI doesn't take steps to do that, then you're going to have a bad time getting those devices to, to work and, and enumerate. And it's really just software connecting the eyes and, uh, you know, dotting, <laughs> dotting the eyes and crossing the T's. But I could see that, you know, with, with AMD's growth and all the plates that they have spinning and everything like that, they don't really have time to qualify every single combination and every, every single setup. Yeah. But that's unfortunate for consumers. Cause yeah, I mean, clearly it, it works flawlessly on, on Intel cause they've been doing it for so long. I mean, part of the reason why it's been so slow is because, they've worked so hard to make sure that it mostly works. So I think AMD's got to do some catch up here. And I, it's just disappointing. I think after all this time, it's still messy. So. Yeah. I really want to see somebody cause USB four is still too slow. I want to see PCIe four or five speeds go because if you connect the dots here, I am so excited because like, if you look at AM five, you've got, four PCIe 5 lanes that you can work with. And one PCIe 5 lane is the same bandwidth as four lanes of PCI Express 3. 
So what if you could map the four PCIe 5 lanes into four USB-C connections that are, you know, 80, up to eight, let's say 80 gigabits instead of 40 gigabits because it's a double-sided connector. Then all of a sudden we're in a whole different world in terms of PCIe tunneling because you could have PCIe 3 or you could have four lanes of PCIe 4. And if the aggregate bandwidth of all four ports is PCIe 5 by four lanes, I would be okay with that. But that completely changes the world of eGPUs and laptop docks and power delivery and everything else. And it, we're in a way better situation than we are, we're in with PCIe 4. And that's a way that AMD could sort of leapfrog and reinvigorate the uh, the whole USB-C high-speed connection thing in a way that I think we really need. Yeah, but it just it would have to work too. Is the <laughs> I I think that I just is wanted little, to work. Yeah, because clearly you know it, there's there've been some weak points, and that that's not the strongest strength. So yeah, it it does need to sort of work first. It's like before <laughs> before we do the fancy stuff, let's just make it work. Yeah, yeah, because that but can no. kind of ruin the experience. Uh, there are there are some desktops that implement PCIe tunneling as well. It's just quietly there, and you can turn it on, but it doesn't make a big deal about making itself known, which is exciting. Yeah, I have a board at home, in fact, that I need to install the OS on. That I I have it. Oh, this vendor is going to kill me because I've had this drive, and I was like, oh, I'm done with it, and then ended up you know getting sick. But <laughs> it uh, it it's a it's an Asus board that has USB four because I I want to test. It's a native a- USB four. Yeah, native on both ends. So you know I. I've been looking for a non-Intel solution USB 4, and I, I think this is supposed to be it. Although at CES, I saw somebody, they had a, they were selling USB 4 hubs that were just Thunderbolt 4 without the Thunderbolt 4 cert. And it's I literally the actual whatever Goshen Ridge, but it's so. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah, we're yeah. just going to call it USB 4 and not deal with the certification. So that's, that's fun. Yeah, that's that's how it should be. I mean, that's, you know, that's how it was with USB in the beginning, the wild USB incompatibilities. See also the X99 chipset launch. Fun times. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is when when Intel was working on USB three. So, you know, you know, of course, people don't know this. Intel invented USB. Right. So but they were they've always been ahead of USB. I remember AMD grousing that like. They're, they're going to use USB against us. And like, how are they going to use it against you? It's an open, they're going to give it away to everybody for free. And they're like, they're going to be so far ahead of us. It'll be an advantage that, you know, they, they'll have <laughs> USB working. It'll, you know, it'll t- take so long for us to catch up. That's well, there's no advantage. danger of that with Thunderbolt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. A display port is 32 gigabit. Thunderbolt is 40 gigabit. Come on. And that's not, it's really, Thunderbolt's actually a little slower because 40 gigabits with no overhead and 32 gigabit is with the overhead already taken out on the display port side. So it's just like, yeah, 32 gigs is slow, very slow. Yeah. Uh, a couple more questions, and we can get out of here. Uh, Karstein asks, uh, uh, "If I were to get a seventy nine hundred XTX with my current thirty nine fifty X, right, sixteen core, right, uh, how much faster would my seventy nine hundred XTX become if I swapped the thirty nine fifty X for a fifty eight hundred X three D?" Depends on the game and the resolution. Yeah, I mean, so but help maybe lay out some and general refresh. use case on that. Yeah, so. Uh, if they're 1080p high high refresh rate, so uh, 7950 XT. Yes, it looks. It sounds like they want to get a 7900 XTX, so the top end AMD Radeon, right? 
and they already currently have a 3950X 16 core, uh, and they're thinking, should they swap to a 5800X 3D? So say they were 1080p high refresh rate, would that make a difference? It'd be easy to do the benchmarks and then just compare to the 5800X 3D benchmarks and see how far you're off. Because like Shadow of the Tomb Raider at high, you probably are going to get close to 300 FPS with that at 1080p, which is, you know, that's probably good enough. But what maybe they're only at 1080p 144, so... <laughs> yeah, it's like, why bother? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So 1080p 360, maybe? Uh so, but what about 4K? What if they're like, ah, I just game at 4K 60? Well, that's actually, that's another thing where it's like the 1500X 3D is not really going to make that much of a difference. Maybe in the 1% lows, but for 4K gaming, it's probably not going to be huge. The, right. the IPC uplift is nice, and that can make a difference depending on the game, but it might not make much of a difference at all. Yeah, probably not worth the squeeze. I mean, especially when you're like at $450. So... 4K no, 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 three, $300 for 5800X. Oh, is it? Oh, 5800X. Yeah, 5800X. Sorry, 5800X. Sorry. They're on AM4. So. Yeah, I would say if you're playing at 4K, 1440 up, you know, normal refresh, probably very hard, especially with AAA gaming. As you're, as you're playing older and older games, there where you're pushing higher refresh, you know, possibly can make more of a difference. Enough to matter, maybe, you know. And then definitely, yeah, if you're looking at 1080p high refresh, 360, 240, probably probably a nice uplift, especially if you're playing Twitch shooters, right? I'd argue you, you could see if you were playing, you know, uh, high response games, it would be worth it. I, I, yeah, I guess the real question is, how how much are you getting for $300? <laughs> Not a lot over what you already have, probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's why it's hard to justify. That's why it always feels like. Also, the, I mean, they they have a 16 core, so maybe they ha- got a reason for a 16 core. You know, they need they need the extra cores, but it sounds like he's willing to go down to a 5800 X3D. So yeah. maybe maybe he's just gaming. So yeah, or mostly gaming. Uh, okay. Uh, come more over on uh, Discord. <laughs> um. Uh, from a friend of the show, Ziv, uh, do you think we'll see RISC-V processors scale and compete with ARM and x86-based CPUs in the consumer space, or will it remain a niche industry? Um, oh, that that would be a good question for uh, for Ian. Because um, I think there is a company that's coming out with a RISC-V, a high-performance, out-of-order RISC-V thing later this year, and that's going to be the that's going to be the, the the thing that's like, oh, that's really interesting. I think Risk Five is is already like if you're if you're still working on a MIPS based solution or something like that, mm, you should worry. Um, Risk Five will probably continue to evolve and be a really interesting product um, for ARM. I don't know how quickly it's going to come for x86, but I'm really impressed with how much Amazon, for example, has done with ARM and their Graviton-based offering. If, if you'd gone back to before Graviton and said, All right, Amazon is going to do this, I would have said, good luck. But Amazon's actually done really well, and well enough that AMD and Intel both should keep an eye on them. But RISC-V is not there yet. RISC-V could devour the low end, but, ri- but RISC-V really needs to devour the low end before they get a lot of progress. But I think it's uh, Jim Keller's outfit, isn't it, that's doing the new RISC-V thing? Am I wrong about that? I can't remember. It's a little right. fuzzy. Maybe. Ian would know. 
Hens Torrent or something. I can't remember. Yeah, that's that's it, right? Yeah, Ian just did a Torvac. By the way, go to Tech Tech Potato, like and subscribe. I, I have a question. Do you think there's going to be a poison pill? Because I, 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 you know, since I'm so consumer focused, I really don't pay attention to it until it's a real threat. Do you think Risk Five really is going to be free of? Some lawyer standing up one day, by the way, you know, <laughs> I got this thing because there's always somebody like, oh, I got something. How can you say something five years ago? Because you ain't got no money to stake. I got you got money to take now. I'm raising my hand. I do you think that's because it just seems th- like that does happen with a lot of these. Oh, open. No, you know, in the in the in the in the context of the 20th anniversary of AMD 64 that is absolutely going to happen because that ha- also happened with AMD 64 remember <laughs> Intel and AMD had the cross licensing thing and then they sued the bejesus out of uh, each other not long after AMD 64 and it took until 2009 to get that settled wow so uh yeah probably going to happen but how much merit is there going to be to that i don't know i just cuz i you know i i know how it is cuz they're just these landmines right they're just kind of like waiting and waiting and like oh there's Every single supposedly open solution that is free of IP, there's always that landmine that somebody's like, oh, I want my money, and uh, kind of wondering yeah. if that's going to happen. I mean, Fraunhofer is probably in there somewhere, probably like, yeah, we got this. <laughs> that's just a joke because they're always like something. They always got they, something. They were sending lawyer grams literally the day before their patent expired. So, I mean, it's kind of like, mm, it's not that's not very cool, guys. Come on. <laughs> But uh, part of the design of the RISC-V marketplace is to try to avoid that kind of thing so that if you put together your own intellectual property or your own package that you add, okay, obviously that. But if you just, if you go on the RISC-V, like the idea of the RISC-V marketplace is like, oh, yes, Samsung's put a really amazing memory controller on here. We'll use that. Then you're getting the terms right then. They're not, they're not, you know, surprising you later with lawyergrams. And I think ARM is kind of... uh, SoftBank, I think, is is kind of shooting people, you know, in the foot or shooting themselves in the foot with this with ARM because it seems like they're trying to renegotiate some of this stuff after the fact in exactly the same kind of way as like some some lawyer aspects of that entering into it. And maybe 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 that'll be bad for their customers. See, that's the way I, I that's why I sort of see like the problem with risk is uh so there's computer science, there's hard science, there's physics, there's atoms, all that kind of stuff like that, electronics. And then there's law and the courts. <laughs> and I can tell yeah. you, no matter what, whatever whatever the engineers and the scientists tell you, they think this is true, this law is immutable, this lawyer will tell you that's not true because the law is has always been able to defeat any of the any of the rules of the universe I've ever seen in technology every time because I, I just kind of like like if the arm thing is perfect like I think everybody's really nervous about arm now because the whole video thing and all this like <laughs> everything just yeah. like where do you go right and then you know that's why I kind of like I kind of think like some this some lawyer is gonna pop their head up and go yeah we got this here and. I'm just kind of waiting for that day. So it's um, that's probably what's going to happen to some of the lower end stuff that their market has been devoured. Some some venture capital or some outfit is going to buy whatever old ancient intellectual property rights exist in some of these 
embedded processors that have gone away. And then boom, it's just lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit to try to get everybody to settle and cement their, their position as far as intellectual property goes. So I think that the outsiders from the people participating in the new economy of these, of these chips are stand a lot more likely to do something like that than the people that are participating. Because if Samsung or somebody does that, they're going to get, they're going to get blackballed and then it's going to be hard for them to get the intellectual property they need for, for a, you know, a quote, quote, a product. It'd be cool. Like if you could put like lawyers in a black hole, they could escape because <laughs> they could like, mm, yeah, well, let me tell you in court, they convince get the, that jury like, yeah, you got to let them go. Do you get the feeling that exactly what you're talking about kind of played out with the, uh, the GPU components inside of what was it? Was it Qualcomm? Who was it that licensed uh, RDNA for their phone? Was it uh, RDNA or Qualcomm? Yeah, Qualcomm. Right? Yeah, you get you get the feeling that I, I was. I remember reading that and thinking something like what you were describing kind of played out, and they were like, "Well, I guess we're gonna we've got no choice but to license somebody else else's GPU intellectual property, and 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 AMD is the least unreasonable." So, hmm. and then. Good point. Uh, two more questions, then we can get out of here. Uh, fun ones. Uh, Eek44 gave us 17 Danish Krone earlier. Thank you so much. Said, uh, what chip do you like, sour cream or plain? Which would you rather plain. go for? Plain? Probably oh, plain. Okay. Gordon? Wait, what? Like, if you had two potato chip options in front of you, one of them was plain, one of them was sour cream, which one did you go for? Uh, sour cream. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Good chips. Uh, and uh, last question from a uh, friend of the show, VC Jester. Wendell is a computer genius, but he doesn't have the years of knowledge under his belt like Gordon. Can Gordon stump Wendell with some old computer knowledge? <laughs> Easily, I'm sure. No, it would just be like trivia. It's got to be some stupid trivia thing. Where do we be a good trivia? Oh. Stump, stump the Wendell. It may stump, be, yeah. stump the Wendell with a ridiculous... We should think of this. Maybe this is a future video when we're when we're in the same physical space. We'll do a video. Stump the window. Listen, I I don't have it. My brain is very slow, and sometimes it's like I start remembering something before the whole memory has loaded in, and it's like, oh yeah, that was totally invented by Al Gore. And then I think about it, and it's like, wait, that's not right. <laughs> yeah, no, I I get wires crossed sometimes. Like, and there's some things that are permanently just simply wrong in my brain. I can't get it correct for some reason. I'm just trying to think of like what is ridiculously stupid, but you know, Wendell would know. I'm just trying to think of what. Well, what about what about you know? Flip the context of the question a little bit with the the anniversary of AMD 64. You know, what stands out in your in your memory? Like, you know, do you remember it being like, oh yeah, AMD 64. This is it. It's a, it's it's a done deal. But because I was reading some, I don't. I, I wasn't. I was doing different stuff then, and. uh you know, I don't really remember, you know, it seems like AMD 64 was not a sure thing. It's like, oh, yeah, Itanium is, is probably where we're all going to be in another few years. And right now the enterprise is enjoying Itanium, but soon it'll be on the desktop. But we don't need 32 bits on the desktop is fine. Who needs more than four gigabytes of memory? That's crazy. Yeah, no, I will say that at the time, like a, a, the trivia thing at the time was, of course, you had Itanium. You had AMD come out with AMD 64. And I think logically it, I would say I, it made a lot of sense and I thought it was going to succeed because even at the time 
AMD 64 came out, you know, Itanium had been so, you know, so out of the consumer realm that it just never felt like it was going to work. And it was really, it was interesting because, you know, remember that wasn't there, the original Itanium didn't even have any, um, any compatibility, right? It was an original, right. there was, so it just felt so, so radically different. It was such a departure and it, it never felt like it was ever going to come to desktop. And that's why like, uh, for desktop, it, it made so much more sense for AMD 64 at the time that it, it was going to work. You know, at the time, all it did was like, oh, it let you put in more memory. It was just kind of like it wasn't it wasn't exactly a, a big change, but it felt like it was going to beat Itanium. And Intel had, you know, was and and I will say even then, you know, Intel rarely failed, right? Because that was back in the day when Intel could never fail. Like everything they did was right. They won everything. But you know, AMD had a solid hit at it already. You know, with FX fifty one, they were already on the map. People were buying them. They were the preferred, you know, platform. Pending four was clearly a, you know, not not great. <laughs> Net burst, ah. Net burst, and you know, and I, I actually think the momentum at that time. I think it, it really felt like, yeah, it was. I would say it was a done deal, and like it felt like Titanium was already just kind of driving off in the middle of nowhere. And it was hard to believe that it could fail as badly and and take as painfully long as it did. But, it, you know, the the PCs. You know, I say this a lot, but the, the PC is always about legacy. It's our strength, and it's also our – it's the thing that ties our hands behind our back, but it's also our strength. And and the lesson that – the one lesson I always take is if you can take a small step forward without breaking everything, the entire ecosystem always embraces it. When you try to break everything, it'd be really radical. It, it That's the hardest thing. And those – every single failure has been a radical change to the ecosystem, so – and AMD 64 was, you know, really just an easy way to do it. So I, I would say, yeah, it was actually, the memory was, it was, it was the done deal. And Intel, everybody, you know, I, I would say probably the register and the inquirer were probably the ones that were beating on Intel the hardest, but, you know, it was clear it wasn't going to go anywhere for, for consumers. So, and, and, you know, it's a shame probably, but, you know, x86 probably could have gone overboard, but too much like no one, you know. People I think won't they were let still, go ATX. They won't let go ATX. So, I think they were still making Itanium systems even in like 2018 and 2019. I think those were the last ones that rolled off. So, I mean, it still it had a life. It was just not taking over the universe. Yeah, and I kind of wonder if that's because they get their partners. You know, they you know you had HPE, you had all these big companies that bought into it, and you can't you can't give up. You gave them credit. They put their money into it. They put their effort, but. You know, I remember like the joke I used to have was like Intel back then for wireless, they always picked the wrong thing because, you know, <laughs> people take wireless for granted now, but like 802.11b came out and it was like amazing. It's like, holy smokes, it's wireless internet affordable. And then Intel was like, oh, well, we're doing, we're doing home RF. <laughs> it was an like, <laughs> alternative to 802.11b and it was like, it was a failure. They're like, oh, you know man. what? You remember that, right? Because that was like there was there was a it was the 2018 Computex. They were they they were showing off like six gigahertz wireless 4K or something, and it was like this is amazing. Never saw it again. Yeah, see, that was my I used to joke because I mean people think like oh Gordon loves Intel, but like I like love making fun of Intel when they fail. It's like it's so easy because it's like they did Home RF, 
and said, yeah, okay. <laughs> and they pushed it really, really hard. Like, well, we blew that. But you know what? Your, your 802.11b, that 2.4 gigahertz, that sucks. We're doing something way better. It's going to be um, 802.11a. I remember it was. It was like the yeah. higher. And it was like a complete failure. It was like whatever it was, it was like it was like a dismal flame out. And like, it was like, it was like you picked, so you did home RF, didn't did that. And then the next thing was like, well, you know, we got WiMAX. Like, what is WiMAX? <laughs> uh, oh, no. I don't, we can't explain it. Well, let me, it was like this, like, here's the chart in the PowerPoint. Like, so what is exactly you, what it does? I mean, what is a, well, you know, it was, you know, it was like, oh, it's going to replace cellular because it's, you know, Oh, okay. And it was like a flame out completely like the Intel wireless division. It was like, Oh, so like, that's <laughs> like, I mean, I, I think of like, I think of wireless, it goes hand in hand with the days of, of Vitanium because it was just like, those are the days when they really start to slip. Right. Cause you know, you'd gone through Intel where like ruler of all to like, wow, that was a failure. And then like really big things like, Oh, we're going to be Cisco. Oh, that was a failure. And then, you know, so a lot of failures back then. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised. The uh, you know, it's funny because like the networking thing, the whole software defined infrastructure. It was the I think it was the Intel 510T. That was a an Ethernet switch, a programmable Ethernet switch from I think the 1990s, like 1998, 1999, and it could do VLANs, and you could, but it had a really cool interface, a really cool API interface. And so you could slice and dice all the ports and use it as a concentrator or fiber uplink. And it was just 10, 100. We had, gigabit wasn't even a thing. And the software stack running on that switch was so cool that I think that kicked off. Like it was so far ahead of its time that it was kind of a failure, but it was also kind of a success because it led to the whole software defined networking going to create, you know, VLANs. And it's like, Oh, I just run this program over here and it reconfigures which servers are where. And it's like, yeah, that's how that works. And that sort of set off, you know, you couldn't have had early Amazon AWS without that kind of functionality in your switch, but it took other companies looking at what Intel did and saying, Oh, we can do that better. And at gigabit and later 10 gigabit speeds. And then, you know, so it's just, it's fun how Intel does stuff. And then it's other people are like, oh, that's a good idea. So I'm really hoping there's something really amazing coming like that for Optane, where it's like, oh, this is a good idea. Here's what we did to make it better. Right. And, you know, I think it's unfair, too, because a lot of people like if you're a hater, you just want to detract. You want to you want to make fun of them and laugh. Ha ha. But, you know, you have to give it to a company to take those risks. These are major moonshot risks that they take. And Intel is is often been ahead of the curve in developing everything. So you, you have to give them credit for trying a lot of these things. You know, a lot of people just kind of want to only point at the failures, but you know, it may not, it doesn't pay off, but maybe, you know, one out of 10 or one out of 20 ends up being X86 or whatever the hell it is, or EOSP. So <laughs> X86 designed in a week by the interns because they thought something else would be more successful. But you, you just got to get, I, I think people, you can't just be haters. You got to, you got to give Intel credit for that too. So, but yeah it, it's fun times it really it's it's really is it really is exciting being on this precipice because of the acceleration of ai and 
all of the stuff all of the stuff in compute is becoming even more ubiquitous than it you know it's like oh there was a big explosion in the 80s and everything computerized oh right. we have seen nothing yet <laughs> yeah it's gonna be amazing right and I, I think the ai is super i had a pr guy like four years ago like oh do you want to talk about this ai things like no i don't give a damn because it's not consumer focused now it's here i'm super excited about it but back then it's like you're just trying to sell me something that's not <laughs> it's so far ahead but like now it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty crazy i think <laughs> Well, speaking of fun times, it was fun hanging out with you, Wendell. Uh, yes, thank you for having me. This was great. I really appreciate it. It's fun times. Yeah, Yeah, thank Thank you. you. Coming in, backstopping me because I wasn't sure my brain was going to really work today. (laughs) I did kind of stump the Wendell. Yeah, but somebody needs to to start this uh, thread over on Discord, like stump stump Gordon or stump Wendell. Uh, I, I, I like this idea. It, it's it's going to be shockingly easy to do, or I'm going to give you an answer that's like, that's not even, that falls apart under even the most surface level scrutiny. What are you talking about? <laughs> I was trying to think of, for some reason, I was trying to think of this thing. Uh, what was the acronym for it? AGP riser card. Do you remember the AGP riser card? The AMR? Audio modem riser. Audio. There was audio modem riser, but there was an AGP riser card. It was bizarrest thing. For the original, was that, was that the one that went from AGP Pro to AGP because AGP Pro was slightly physically incompatible or something? No, no. This so this was the thing. You know, Intel came out with A10. You know, the failed i seven fifty two rolled into the chipset, the Whitney. So they did A10 chipset, but um, they needed to get an AGP port on the back, and they couldn't fit it in the I/O panel for some reason. So for some motherboards. You would put this, uh, it was a card, it was a PCB with a with an AGP port onto it that would slot into the AGP slot. It was like an AGP riser card, but it wasn't, what the heck was the acronym? I'm stumping myself. I know what it is. <laughs> Completely useless. Uh, I'm trying to think. I, there, I remember some proprietary cases that had... What looked like an AGP riser, but then ultimately it was PCIe slots, not AGP slots. Yeah, see, I stumped him and I stumped myself. Because what is the acronym for that? It is the AGP riser. God, what was it called? But you'd put them in and you could add an AGP port onto your your motherboard or your your system, your desktop case. So I love but, the uh, my my favorite hardware of all time from that era. And I don't have one of these in my collection. It was the was the A bit BP six. I think it was the BP six. It's it was the dual socket three seventy. You remember doing the hard mods on the Celeron so you could run two Celerons at once? I I I knew somebody that did that, and I used their computer, and it was like going from a single processor to two processors, even though it was a Celeron, and it was just it was my my you could you could you could have scooped the brains off of the off of the walls because my head exploded. And uh, it was like I have to have this, and he he'd done uh, the slot. So there was there there were slockets. Remember the slockets? It's like a socket to slot conversion. So he'd done the modifications on the slocket or something, and so he had two slot Celeron 300 A's in like a Tyann motherboard, and that that was raw. And it was some kind of mod, and it was like uh, 
and, and it was two Celeron 300As, but running at 450 megahertz. And it was just, and it was like, you paid how much for this? And this is running this good? Because it was like, you know, 100% overclock or something. And it was just like, this is insane. And then ABIT, like the next week was like, hey, everybody's doing this. Here's a motherboard. You can just slam your processors in. You don't need to do any mods. We put the mods right in the motherboard. <laughs> and uh, that was a lot of fun. And it's probably not as awesome as I'm remembering, but... uh Two processors in that era was just in it was just and and so then by the time AMD sixty four comes out and you get the Athlon sixty four X two with two of those on a thing and it's like oh it's gonna be that all over again. <laughs> For my collectible and I I'm so dumb I e wasted this thing a decade ago but my first dual processor machine at home was a dual Pentium two four hundred box. Mm. Very running, expensive but very nice running Rambus I think. <laughs> oh yes. Rambus was was surprisingly good. It got a bad rep. Was it? But the cool thing was, I was running BOS on it. Oh, nice. It was nice. like it was like BOS because remember everything was whatever inherently multi-threaded, and you yep. know, do the tea kettle demo. That's the only thing I could do on. I could like do nothing else on that entire machine. <laughs> but that's it. <laughs> I should have well, kept now, that. Why did I toss it? I'm so dumb. Uh, yeah, that's that's one heck of a collector's machine, but that's also a, a piece of history too, because that would go on to be like how how prescient was Steve Jobs that you know they fire Steve Jobs and he's like, not only am I going to be back, I'm going to be the thing that I know that you're not going to get right over the next ten years at Apple. So he does the operating system, and then then it's you know, and then you get OS ten from 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 that, and it's just it's just well, actually that was next, that was not BIOS, but would BOS been just, been been better though? I mean, because that's always like. I don't know, but yeah, no. Well, I mean, it could have been, but yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. We can't. You can't get us off the air, Adam. We can't get. I'm off. sorry. Yeah, I was gonna talk about Rambus next because I. You know what? This is another classic thing. I, I'm just gonna bring this up because this is like we're talking about all the times you're wrong. I was a hardcore. Everyone hated Rambus. So I will bring up another old ancient '90s kind of thing. Everybody was did not was against the ram bus everybody did not like rd ram on on pc too expensive the density was too low blah 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 blah. you know and i in print i did say i admitted i was wrong because i think you know i was in the media at the time still am but i think we were all wrong we are all very focused against ram bus obviously because of the you know the litigation aspects of it but from a pure performance aspect i think everybody was wrong and i think it's a good ask i think it's a it's a good example of when the review press can be completely wrong on something just because of other reasons because clearly rd ram was superior for a long time over over you know a ddr and it probably would have ended up being you know better in the end but it just never got service so unfortunately i want I wonder if termination dims would solve some of the problem with high speed DDR5 in four slot motherboards. Wow, that'd be interesting, right? Could you? I mean, could you? I don't know if people can handle it though. We can't even get. You can't even put the. You can't even get the right channels. I don't think people can handle termination dims, and I mean, I guess the termination dims if they had RGB would work, but I, I just kind of feel like. Like if we had like, because I remember at the time they had like, um, I really tried to get one, but they had quad channel consumer RD RAM boards. At the oh end. yeah, there was somebody yeah. I think it was like Via did a chipset or something, but it was like it never went nowhere because it was already too late. But the technology was good. 
but very very briefly you could run rd uh rd run you could run registered dims with the 7980xe platform on x299 that was an omission in the microcode they forgot to disable it so you could run 768 gigs of memory on x299 no problems wow huh they they turned that off oh but you i've still got a board that can do it do you have any rambus yeah i i should actually get an rd ram system up and running sometime I've got a single, I've got a P4 uh, RAM bus system. I, th- I think maybe 16 megabytes of, of uh, RD RAM and two, the determination dims are hilarious because they're just, it's just a PCB. Hmm. And uh, it's not, I don't know the last time that I turned that on, the capacitors are probably dry, but that's in a box somewhere. Uh, Shane, like, N- ah. Shane NT points out that dims are already terminated internally. So. Yeah, but... I mean, yeah, no, that's not, not enough. That's not, well, the socket, you're still going to pick up because you pick up a lot of noise from the socket. See, that's why the, and you get reflections and stuff from the vias. And then it's like, okay, we'll use surface mount. Uh, it's the through holes. I mean, and then we'll use, okay, we'll use surface mount dim slots, but still you get reflection from just having the little pin there. So it's like, would adding a PCB solve that at some electrical level? Maybe possibly. So it's not exactly the termination part, but maybe it is. Huh. No, that's an and interesting question, right? Because. Yeah. Shane NT had an, early, an interesting question earlier, too, because it was like, oh, which Optane or dual port? Now, that's a trick question because there's four PCIe lanes in your U.2 slot, and some of the controllers can be configured to do a 2x2, two two, or the controller can be 4x0. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't stump them on that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all, all right. right. All right. We, okay. should, we should get out of here. We better go. We have uh, wasted enough of Wendell's time today. <laughs> he's got to do and real I've work. wasted enough of yours. No, he's got to do fun. real work. <laughs> so check back next week for your Fix It PC Talk on the full alert for audio listeners. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. And if you're on one of those services, please leave a review every time you oh, do. I need to go read one. We come up with a way to stump Wendell, which is actually theoretically impossible. Send questions and comments to the full nerd at PCWorld.com. Thanks for coming. I'm Gordon Young with Wendell from Level 1 Text. By the way, go to his channel, like, and subscribe, and smash that bell. Thanks for coming, Thank Wendell. Thank you. Thank you. And Adam Patrick Murray is going to hit the off switch. Oh, I, uh, I just looked. We we ha- we have no new reviews since uh, October eleventh, twenty twenty two, over on Apple Podcasts. So, oh, somebody needs to be the first one of twenty twenty three, and they'll go to, to, to shout leave out. us a review, and we'll give you a shout out. Uh, but thank you, Wendell, for for coming. Uh, it was no, a good you. time, like thank always. You. It was uh, fun. Well, one last question: Are you are you going to Computex? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, then you know what? We will be there, and we should we should do something together. And definitely, yes. maybe maybe stump you. We'll see. I want to reviewers roundtable. Reviewers roundtable. We do. Well, Ian will be there. Ian will be there. Oh least. yeah. So we know Ian habits. So, yeah. How do you survive? So we yeah we need to figure out who's going, and we'll put together a roundtable of uh, uh of of this. I like it. Anyway, thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, you've been awesome, and we will catch you next week. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>